Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 16th, 2021, including NVIDIA leaks a bunch of Microsoft games, every game you want is delayed, the Modern Warfare guys are making more Modern Warfare, and more. We actually have a pretty robust week this week with uh, news and comments and the whole thing. Nothing is lacking, so I don't want to meander too much to the top of the show, but also I don't want to rush through it, so let's try to find a nice middle-of-the-road pace here. All right, let's jump into the comments. Wait, no. Slow it down. How are you guys doing today? Good? All right, we'll, we'll skip all the usual, hey, I'm on Twitch, follow my YouTube. No, none of that shit today, so... Guys, there's so many games getting delayed. There's so many things being leaked. The PlayStation did a whole thing last week we haven't even gotten to talk about because it literally happened hours after last week's podcast went live. There's a whole lot. So let's just kind of start out with the corrections and whatnot from this week. Now, I mean, I guess normally this this segment would be the corrections and whatnot. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open because, you know, there's no corrections. There's nothing to correct from last week. Fuck you. 100% accuracy. If you ran last week's episode into a plagiarism checker, that database, that 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 algorithm would find that the podcast last week was 100% accurate and perfect in every way, shape, and form. No, no inaccuracies. No, no stealing of ideas or news from. Shut up. All right, let's jump into the corrections of which there are none. Let's jump into a little recap of some things that happened shortly after last week's podcast. So last week's podcast went up. The world was good. We we're all feeling good. Our, our tummies were tingling with Taco Bell, freshly digesting. And then PlayStation was like, here's uh, our first appearance in 5,000 years. Last time we talked to you guys about what we were working on, there was a pandemic happening and nacho fries were on the menu, but things have changed. Okay. So let's get down to brass tacks. And so, obviously, we're not going to dive deep into this. This isn't, a, this isn't a big news story for Xbox, but some of these stories pertain to Xbox. So, there's things from this showcase that will make its way into our news segment. So, for those things, I'm going to kind of leave, you know, leave it out. But I just want to give some overall impressions because I constantly say on this show, time and time again, Xbox's problem is they talk too much. They are too much like me. They think that every time there is a second of silence, it's your job to fill the air. And that's just not how you want to run your brand, especially if you want to truly deliver on your promises. And Xbox talks so much that they have no, you know, they have to say something. And if you have to say something, you have to talk about things that are on the way. And, you know, if you're talking 24-7, chances are it's not that you have a billion things in the pipeline. It's that you're just overhyping shit and you're just talking too much about something that doesn't need to be talked about for the thousandth time. Uh, C top, top Gear or what is it fucking uh, Top Gun DLC at every major event like what the fuck we don't need that so I've criticized Xbox time and time again I said their Gamescom pres- presence this past uh, uh, year this 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 past summer was abysmal um, just the sheer number of events they show up to and in events and or kind of presentations they do just a little too much sometimes with these e3 press conferences as i've said many times in the past sometimes they could just trim the fat down a little bit you know they talk a little they just just a little too much there's too much they talk about too many things they show 
Let's just focus on the most important things. Get down to the real meat and potatoes of the announcements and the subject matters. I think it would do Xbox a world of of good for not only just like ha- really representing what it is they have going on, you know, because it just tells people the things they should absolutely, without a doubt, be hyped for. But it also, you know, by just talking about that stuff and kind of fucking off otherwise, you give people a reason, uh, you give people a chance to, or sorry, you, you give people a reason to believe that when you're going to talk, you're going to have something exciting to say. And that's kind of why I think PlayStation does a significantly better job than Xbox these days in terms of showing up to showcases and in events and having things to say. And now I have been critical of PlayStation saying that's maybe, maybe their problem is unlike Xbox, they're a little too quiet instead of, you know, being too loud uh, because PlayStation will go away for like, at least in the past few years, their thing is like, we'll go away for 15 months and then come out of nowhere. And you know, that's, that might be pushing a little too much. Cause it's like, okay, okay guys, there, there's enough happening in the games industry that we can talk twice a year you know we don't we don't got to be doing this annualized family reunion thing we're doing so but with that said playstation had their showcase this past thursday a very very tight 40 45 minute presentation saying hey guys this is what you should be looking forward to if you're a playstation fan if you're a playstation 5 owner if you're wondering what's next for this machine that just came out less than a year ago has basically every announced title already on the market with the exception of, like, Horizon, basically. Uh, What is there next? And they had a really, really good showing that was just... And and this is the thing that drives me nuts, is PlayStation has this nailed down so perfectly to the point where their, their showing was, like, announcement, announcement, announcement. No one pops up. There's no fucking guy introducing himself, talking about how he wants to put players in the center of some universe and put all the games around him. There's no one talking about vague statistics and stats that sound kind of impressive on paper, but once you think about it for a second, you're like, oh, that kind of means nothing. No one cares about that. I just kind of want to see what games you're bringing to the table. And, And Sony was so good about that to the point where they pretty much just didn't even show anyone at Sony until the very end. They were just like, nah, trailer 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 here's the playstation logo trailer trailer it's like what the fuck it was great and then the best thing they did was they're like okay for those for those gameplay reveals where it's like you want to show an extended demo you know sometimes you get like those forza reveals where it's like here's the reveal for the game and then here's a four minute demo of the game instead of just being like reveal straight into demo they they just keep the momentum going they're like reveal skip it reveal 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 and then the end of the show after the announcements have been made if people want to stick around, that's when you do the gameplay demos. It's like, okay, uh, 20 minutes ago in the middle of the show, uh, we announced this game. Here's the gameplay demo of it. And it's like, mm, that's how you fucking do it. You just keep the pacing. That way, you're never losing your audience. That way, you're conditioning your audience that, okay, well, this current trailer they're showing isn't something I'm interested in. But judging by how they do these events, I know it's only a matter of 45 seconds or a minute and a half before they're on to the next game, which might be something I care about. So you're not doing this thing of like, here's a mildly interesting announcement. Here's a really shitty announcement. Here's an overly long announce, uh, a second look of a game we, we saw last year. Here is a cool announcement. Here's an announcement that's going to blow your mind. Here's an extended 12-minute gameplay demo of a game you don't give a shit about. Here's Phil Spencer telling you about why players should be at the center of his inner circle of friends. No one cares about this shit. And I I just think from that perspective, let's let's not even talk about what the games were. From that perspective, I think PlayStation had 
a kick-ass showing. I'm not talking about games. I'm not talking about console wars. I'm just talking about which company knows how to speak to their audience in a way that is respectful of their time, in a way that is succinct to the point and gives you just what you want. And if anything, leaves you wanting more instead of being like, wow, can't believe I just did a fucking history lesson in the middle of an Xbox showcase because they just had it down to the absolute bare essentials and it was fantastic. To the point where I actually think, so my initial thoughts after watching the showcase were, wow, that was fantastic. PlayStation did a great job. And it took me like a day or two of dwelling on this to realize like, actually... Actually, I'm being a little bit of a hypocrite by giving PlayStation so much, so much, uh, so much um, credit because when you really think about just purely the game announcements they had, they actually fell to some of the criticisms I hold or I levy against Xbox all the time, which is announcing a lot of shit that's not even anywhere near being close to launch. So way premature announcements. But the thing is, the showmanship, the pacing, the way they did the presentation was so goddamn good. The momentum was so good. The hype was so good that it almost distracts you from the fact that it's like, wait a minute, you're revealing a game to me that isn't even a game yet. It's literally just a handshake agreement in a splash teaser logo. Like you don't even have a fucking game behind the scenes. But again, the presentation, the way they announced it, the pacing of the event, the boom, 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 games, games, games was so good that it distracts you. So obviously that's a reference to Wolverine, but let me just, I guess let me just get into it. They did a great job of being like, here's a remake. Here's a game that people have been clamoring for to see come back for years and years and years. It's here. The KOTOR. It, it, it was Really cool to see them just be like, yeah, here's a game that you associate with the OG Xbox. It's coming back after years and years of people begging for it, and uh, we're announcing it on the competitor stage, and it is a timed exclusive. It's ours. That's fucking cool. That's a really good way to stir the pot. That's a really good way to kick things off. It'd be cool to see Xbox kick off an E3 by being like, um, you know that guy Hideo Kojima that makes all the big PlayStation games? All right, here's his new game. It's on Xbox only. Fuck yeah, here's the trailer. Like, that's a cool fucking way to be like, big hype announcement, also big punch to your fucking competitor, and just, it really sets the precedent for like, wow, we're not playing around this time. So that was a really cool opening announcement, and then there were some other games, some smaller games, some more PlayStation-centric games that we won't get into, um, but then the the one-two massive fucking punch of Insomniac coming out and being like, uh, we're making a Wolverine game and a sequel to Spider-Man. Now, everyone knew Spider-Man, 2018 Spider-Man was going to get a sequel. That's not a surprise to anyone, but the fact that Insomniac just put out Miles Morales and Ratchet and & Clank in the past year and are now going to put out two more games, you know, it's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, anyone who... Anyone with half an idea of how this works would, would have looked at a company like Insomniac and said, uh, okay, so you guys just released Spider-Man Miles Morales and Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. There's no way in hell you guys have any ammo left in the gun. You know, you're going to take a while to... It's probably going to be like three, four years maybe before we hear about Insomniac again. But nope, they just come right back and like, not only here's one more game, here's two more games. That's fucking amazing. That's a really, really cool uh, announcement. But it took me a while to dwell on this and be like, okay, mm, let's be fair. Wolverine is probably not even a game yet. In fact, Spider-Man might not even be a game yet. I, I expect Spider-Man 2 to be very much a more of the same, which is a good thing, but more of the same kind of deal where, you know, they're going to be able to make a sequel to that game relatively quickly because they're more or less just using a lot of the same world they already built for the first game. So they have a lot of their work laid out for them there. But Wolverine, that is a from the ground up brand new game. Unlike anything Insomniac's ever done. That game's years and years out. There's a reason why we didn't see any gameplay or why there wasn't more than just a little like 
teased of like a man sitting in a bar and oh it's Wolverine like that game is probably not they, I I don't even I'm willing to bet they barely have like a, a vertical slice of a pre-alpha build of a concept demo built you know at this point like that game is probably so so far out I would be shocked if that game came out any sooner than 2025 at the absolute earliest so like that game is not something we're going to see anytime soon. So that that is important to note is that yes, down the line this is going to bite them in the ass a little bit because now it's constantly going to be like an older scroll 6 thing of like where's Wolverine? Where's Wolverine? Where's Wolverine? And Sony's never going to be able to talk about it because that game was announced way too prematurely. And so if anything this might be a detriment long run. In the moment it's cool cuz it's like holy shit, not only does Insomniac, a company we thought wouldn't have anything to talk about for years to come, not only did they come out and have an announcement, but they had two and they were fucking massive. That's really fucking cool. But this might, I, upon further consideration, I think this might be a bigger issue for them down the road because what we're going to see is Insomniac just released a bunch of games that were great and now they've just announced a bunch of new games that are on the way, but there's going to be a massive drought because instead of releasing those awesome games, going away for a while, and then coming back when they're ready to talk about their new games, they released a couple cool new games and then immediately announced two games that are way, way, way premature and then are going to have to fuck off for many years before they're ready to come back and show us what those two games are. So in the long run, this might have been a bad move, but let's say hypothetically, you know, they say Spider-Man's a 2023 game. I doubt it. I think it's probably a 2024 game, but let's say it is a 2023 game. Okay, that's pretty cool. Then that that's an appropriate time to tease that, you know, a, a year and a half, two years ahead of time. Okay. That's pretty typical for these kinds of things. You know, you talk about a game. I, I would prefer for games to be announced six to 12 months before they release, but it's pretty typical for a game to be announced two years in advance. So let's say that they really think they can hit that fall 2023 time period, whatever that's suitable, but Wolverine that's way premature still though. The, aside from aside from it just being, uh, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of the same thing they did with Indiana Jones, right? Because Microsoft and Bethesda and, and Machine Games were pretty quick to prematurely announce the Indiana Jones game that Machine Games is working on, right? At the beginning of this year, and the reason they did that wasn't because Indie's almost here, we're about to see it, but more so because they're like, we're so excited that we have this IP, that we have the opportunity to work on this, that we're just going to announce it because it's such a big deal in and of itself. And that's kind of what this Wolverine thing was, from my in my opinion. This isn't them being like, oh, this game's it's close to being ready to show, and we're so excited to announce we're working on a Wolverine game. My understanding is that this is more of a we're going to work on a fucking Wolverine game, and that's mind-blowing, so we're going to announce it now because we want to hype you guys for this. I, I don't know. So, <laughs> Insomniac, the difference here is, you know, I've been critical of Xbox. Like, like uh, what's Redfall, right? Like, Arcane, what the fuck is Redfall? Redfall isn't a known quantity. There's no Redfall TV show or book. Uh, there's no previous entries in the Redfall thing. It's a brand new game. What is it? Weirdly enough, we're going to talk about that in the news this week, but what is it, right? So, like, why announce a game with just a cinematic trailer? But here's the thing about Wolverine is it's a little different where it's like, well, what is it? Because the, the Insomniac's never made a Wolverine game. There aren't many Wolverine games in existence, but Insomniac does make certain types of games, and they have made a Marvel superhero game recently, and it's fucking great. And so there is this kind of, like, precedent for like what insomniac can do with a marvel character and you know what insomniac likes to do with their games in general and you can kind of deduct enough to be like even though they weren't ready to show what this game actually is i'm still kind of hyped about it because i know what insomniac is and what they do and 
what they did with Spider-Man and if they can at the you know it doesn't matter if it's a stealth game or an action game or FPS obviously it's not going to be an FPS or anything like that but you can just tell it's like if Insomniac was able to go from Resistance and Ratchet and Clank and Spiral the Dragon to making Spider-Man 2018 and Miles Morales in 2020 then you know I'm all on board to see what they can do with Wolverine it's a little bit of a double standard I know but I feel like there's a little more of a precedent and an understanding, which kind of warrants the hype a little more. Also, I'm just a big Wolverine fan, so I'm just really hyped about this. I think Insomniac is one of the great developers in existence right now. I think Wolverine is one of the coolest fucking characters in the Marvel canon. So maybe it's a little biasy on my on my end, but I'm just hyped about this. You know, I, I like Indiana Jones just fine. I really like Machine Games. They're my favorite Bethesda-owned developer, but I just have a harder time getting excited for seeing what the guys who make Wolfenstein do with Indiana Jones when, you know, that's a, that's a bit more of a stretch. The only real relationship or experience that Machine Games has that I'm like, oh, that kind of translates to Indiana Jones is the fact that, obviously, uh, Wolfenstein is a game about killing Nazis and, and fighting the Nazi empire, where, as, you know, Indiana Jones is also kind of a story about fighting Nazis, so I guess there's that link, but that's about it. I will say for sure, Indiana Jones is definitely a lot more family-friendly than Wolfenstein, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they pull this all together. Indiana Jones is also a kind of game you expect to definitely be a third-person action game, very much like a Tomb Raider or an Uncharted. So seeing them go from a first-person shooter kind of team to be making something like Indiana Jones, it's again, it's a little more of like a head-scratching, like, what the hell is this game going to be? Whereas Wolverine, again, we haven't seen the game, but based on what Insomniac's done in the past, what they recently did with Spider-Man, and just their track record in general, it's very easy to be like, Oh man, they're going to do great with Wolverine. Maybe it sounds a little hypocritical. I just want to point out I'm aware of that, but fuck you. I'm going to give it to them anyway. All right. And then aside from that, man, again, it's just the, the pacing was so great. They're just like, here's God of War. Here's Gran Turismo. And they just had something for everyone. Like, here's the story-driven third-person action game. Here's the superhero game. Here's the racing game. Here, They just had it all. Here's the second-party support. Here's the third-party support. Here are all the games you're looking for. And it was just a very, very, very tight, fun, entertaining show. You know, I'm still more excited over here on Team Xbox. It's the platform I prefer. It's It has the first-party content I prefer. So, of course, I'm, I, you know, as I've said a million times before, I don't care what Xbox is talking about. Just the fact that we're about to get Halo Infinite is more than enough for me. Halo, Xbox could have come out at E3 and just been like, Halo Infinite, fuck you, bye. And I would have been more than happy with that because all I care about is Halo Infinite. But, you know... I'll, Forza Horizon 5, fuck yeah, I'll take that. Uh, the inevitable uh, Gear 6, I'll take that. Machine Games working on new content, fuck yeah, I'll take that. Of course, there are other things I'm excited about. The the Initiative working on, on Perfect Dark, Fable Reboot, all these things. Yeah, of course, I'm excited for these games. I want to see them. I'm looking forward to them. But it's just that we don't get a show that's like, here's the gameplay reveal for Perfect Dark, and here's the gameplay reveal for Fable, and here's a trailer for a new game with gameplay and a release time window, and here's another cool announcement, and here's a look at Halo Infinite, and that's the show. Instead, we get, like, someone from Xbox comes out, says some PR bullshit, talks about statistics, wants to put gamers in the center of some weird universe, like Journey to the Center of the fucking Gamer or something, like some Jules Verne novel I never wanted to read, and then they show extended looks at games I don't care about and some announcement for games I do care about and then announcement for a game I'm like that's kind of interesting but I have literally no concept of what that could possibly be what the fuck it's contraband and then they show me a trailer for a game it's like oh, yeah, you talked about it a like hundred times I don't really need to know about that again and then they show a gameplay trailer for a game that 
was on PlayStation two years ago that was really big on Switch a year ago, and now it's come to Xbox. I'm like, cool, that's kind of an Xbox Wire post. I really don't need that in an E3 press conference. And then they talk about something I do care about, and then someone else from the company comes out and starts talking about uh, making gamers the center of their fucking top eight space on MySpace. I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? And then they start doing extended videos on like history lessons about medieval torture weapons. I'm like, I, I don't need any of this. If you just chopped, if you just cut it down to the games, 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 you could get me excited about everything the way Sony did. When you really take all these games and remove them from the presentation, I don't care about half of what Sony talked about, but the showing was so good that I walked away hyped. I don't even own a PS5. I don't even plan on buying a PS5 until the first price drop or slim model comes out. Like I'm not buying a PS5 for at least another like year and a half, two years, right? But they did such a good job with the pacing and the showmanship of it that I'm just like, fuck yeah, PlayStation's awesome. And Xbox probably had more games I'm actually interested in and more content I actually care about. And I bought an Xbox Series X day one. I can't wait every time I get to fucking play it because I love it. But their show sucks so bad that it leaves me so easily being like, oh yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm critical of this and that was dumb. They could have done this different because it's like, I don't need you constantly breaking up the pacing with lame shit. Anyway. This has gone on a little too long. I just want to say, Sony had a really great showing because they did what Xbox has really needed to do. They they just cut right to the chase. And unlike me and the way I talk on my podcast, they cut out the bullshit. They just got straight to the point and they got you hyped about the games because that's what matters. I don't care about how many people subscribe to your service. I don't care. I mean, I do. I, I As a person who podcasts about Xbox, I care. But as a player who just wants to play video games and see the games I'm going to be playing on my Xbox, that's all I care about. Just show me the fucking games. And don't let some guy in a leather jacket and sunglasses indoors tell me about the DLC for a flight simulator game I still haven't played a year after its launch because I don't care. And if I, as a hardcore Xbox gamer who takes hours and hours out of his day, out of his week every week to fucking stream, podcast, and play Xbox, if I don't care, chances are the overwhelming majority of your audience doesn't give a shit. So Xbox, off. Off the couch. Bad boy. All right. I want to wrap this up with a comment from a Mr. Hunter F. And I guess the F stands for Frankfurt because this is Hunter from Frankfurt, Germany, who says... Coming here right after seeing the really cool shit announced at the PlayStation event. And I just wanted to say this. I know you like to play the Xboxes for Gamers card, and exclusivity doesn't matter. But they're going to hold Marvel and KOTOR over our heads. I think Xbox should do the same, even if some are just timed exclusives. Translation, I'm a spiteful and messy bitch, and I like seeing internet meltdowns on Twitter. I completely agree Xbox needs to do shit like this if they want to quote-unquote win. If they want to get... If they, need, they need those dunking points. You're right, they do. It's, it is simultaneously cool when Xbox does the dunking thing, like, we got Indiana Jones, hope, you know, but then they do the Xbox thing where they're like, they leave the door wide open. They're just like, nothing on exclusivity, nothing on, you know, what, like, how long we have it, if it's permanent, whatever the case may be. They're just like, Indiana Jones machine games, and we're all just left wondering, it's like, well, you just bought machine games as part of the Bethesda deal, and you announced the game. But does that mean it's your game, or does that mean it's timed exclusive, or does that mean it's going to be multi-platform because you guys are so flippant about these things? I agree. It's it's way cooler for the style points, the dunk points, and just the the optics of it all, right? To just to just say, hey, we got these games. We this is ours. And Phil Spencer talks about this too, about how you know they they talk about how they want to support Xbox wherever Game Pass. You know, they want to support players wherever Game Pass is. But then they also talk about how they want exclusives and they want to win and they want to beat Sony and things like this. And so I think they need some clear, more defined lines sometimes. And and clearly, Sony showing shows 
how fun that can be, right? How cool would it be? Imagine if the tides were turned and, and, and Insomniac didn't have a Wolverine game, right? Because what's the other big, at least you go back to like my childhood, what's the big Marvel thing outside of Spider-Man? X-Men. Obviously, nowadays, it's Avengers and Iron Man and Captain America and all that stuff. But, like, when I when I was younger, just because I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, when there was a lot of X-Men cartoons and Spider-Man cartoons, and then the live-action Spider-Man and X-Men movies were just coming out, back in those days, the big Marvel thing other than Spider-Man was X-Men. How fucking cool would it be if, during alternate history, PlayStation didn't announce a Wolverine game by Insomniac coming out to PlayStation 5? Instead... Two months ago at E3, Xbox came out and said, whoever, the coalition, let's say, coalition are working, are hard at work on the next iteration of the Gears of War franchise. We can't wait to tell you more about it, but that's not what we're here to show today. Not Todd Ferguson, because he left the coalition, uh, is here to tell you all about what the team is hard at work on, and we're really excited to show you our first effort not set in the Gears of War universe. Lights go dark. The, the 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 rave music you know the the trap music goes live whatever and we get a trailer of Professor X you know and he's talking to he's talking to someone and he's on this T-Mobile sidekick and he's doing whatever and he's using his mental abilities to talk to a kid on the other side of the world about what he should order off the McDonald's value menu I don't know what the fuck would happen but they're having a thing and you're just like wait a minute is that nah that's just that's just some old guy. And then, and then it shows like uh, some 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 guy who's like, ah, oh, I'm a lumberjack and I'm in Canada chopping wood. And it's like, wait a minute, there's a guy in a wheelchair, there's a guy chopping wood. Uh, the only people I know who uh, the only the only two I know who have this kind of relationship are Doc, Xavier and no 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 it, it can't be can't be Professor Xavier it can't be can't be Wolverine. Boom! It's a goddamn X Men game. And they're like, yeah, the Coalition is working on an X-Men game exclusively for Xbox. Coming to Game Pass, coming to Xbox, coming to PC, coming to not PlayStation. Fuck you. And it would be a massive, massive boon because it would be like, oh my god. It's like the guys at Xbox saw that Sony got Spider-Man and Insomniac got Spider-Man, and they did a great job, and everyone bought it. It's one of the best-selling games on the PS4. It's It reviewed very, very well. Everyone had nothing but great things to say about it, and it's like Xbox saw that and said, oh, we can play at that game, and then they went and knocked on Disney's door and said, Bob Iger, because at the time it was Bob Iger, not Bob Chapek, and they said, Bob Iger, we want one of those guys on our platform, and Bob Iger's like, I'm too busy buying everything because I lack creativity. What do you want? And they would say, um, can we get Xbox and X-Men together? They both start with X. And he'd be like, that's an excellent idea for $8 trillion fucking dollars. And then I'll take your money and fire half the staff at my theme parks. And then Phil Spencer was like, deal. I don't even know what that, that statement means. And then, he would t- then he'd give him that money because Xbox got in- endless deep pockets from Papa Microsoft. And then, and then the coalition would be like, hey, we, we're really excited about Gear 6. And, and Phil Spencer would be like, no, we actually got X-Men. And then they'd be like, just kidding. We made Cat uh, and Marcus Phoenix's son, um, Travis Phoenix. I forget his fucking name. Not Dell. We made him look like fucking uh, X-Men. And then everyone would be happy. And there'd probably be a cure for polio, I'm guessing. And it would be really fucking cool. I agree. This would be a really exciting thing to see happen. Obviously... You know, in my analogy, I don't like the idea of someone thrusting an IP onto a studio. I prefer the idea of Xbox having the conversation with Disney and then shopping around to their teams like, hey, guys, 
who would be interested in working on a Disney property? Does anybody have any cool ideas? Like someone's like, oh, I have an idea for a Guardians of the Galaxy game that doesn't suck. And someone's like, oh, I have an idea for a Star Wars game that that doesn't suck. And someone else is like, I have an idea for a Disney game that's about a Disney character and not about fucking Star Wars and Marvel for the first goddamn time in 15 years. And it'd be really cool. It'd be ideas and people would get to pitch their ideas and Microsoft would be like, here's a blank check. And Disney would be like, oh my God, we're going to cash this money and then raise the prices on, on pretzels and our theme parks. And it'd be really, really fucking cool. It'd be so awesome. It would be so fucking cool to see this happen. Right now, Disney is the company. And I'm not talking about this because I love Disney shit. And we always talk about Disney theme parks and stuff. This is actually... Disney is a very, very big player right now in the game space. Because Disney has successfully bought 98% of the creative and intellectual property that exists in in, in modern human culture and in, in, in media. There's, there's basically nothing that Disney doesn't own, right, at this point. And because Disney doesn't publish their own games, they don't own a game developer anymore, they're completely out of that because they're completely devoid of any creativity, their whole thing is, you pitch the game to us, buy the rights to our IP, we'll let you fucking make the game. And Square Enix seems to understand that, and Sony seems to understand that. They're leveraging that really good relationship they already have with Marvel, you know, through their long-standing Spider-Man deal with, with Columbia Pictures. Um... Who else? Fucking who else is making the guys who make fucking XCOM 2K? They understand that to some extent. Nintendo even fucking gets it. They just published Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. What the fuck, guys? The fact that Nintendo understands something that Xbox doesn't, it's terrifying. So why hasn't Xbox done the thing yet? Like, where is our Xbox Star Wars game? Where is our Xbox Marvel game? Where is our Xbox? I don't even know what else, because apparently creative video game developers don't like Disney and Pixar, so maybe maybe not a Toy Story game, or God forbid, oh my god, I'm literally just fucking like ejaculating thinking about the idea of, of Playground Games making a Cars game, oh my god. Lightning McQueen, from the developers of Forza Horizon, I gotta take a break for that one. But I, I agree, I think, I think Microsoft is being incredibly, incredibly naive here. Thinking that just I don't I don't know what it is they think obviously I'm not I'm not there I'm not I'm not listening to these conversations but the fact that they are just watching everyone else get their Marvel game watching everyone else get their Star Wars game it's like what the fuck are we doing and I get that Indiana Jones is like kind of that thing but like you got to go more than Indiana Jones Indiana Jones is great don't get me wrong I I I I I don't know if I actually believe this but I always think at least I always tell myself I think I like Indiana Jones more than Star Wars. I'm not a very big Star Wars fan, but, like, I think I like Indy more. So, like, to me personally, it's cool to see Indiana Jones. But let's be honest. Indiana Jones is a lot less relevant than Star Wars. It's a, it's not nearly as big as Star Wars. It's huge. It's fucking huge. It's absolutely iconic. But it's not Star Wars big, right? So, it's like, that's that's cool. But, like, Star Wars is Star Wars. There's nothing like Star Wars, right? And you might be able to be like, oh, well, we got Halo, so maybe not. I, I, I think that's a bad excuse, but... What's the other thing? Well, Marvel is the biggest thing in the modern era, and it's so fucking popular right now. It's so People are so high on it. It's like, how does Xbox not have their Marvel game? Like, literally, any... Like, pick a character, dude. Make a fucking Black Panther game. I don't I don't know. Like, dude, just make a goddamn Marvel. I don't understand what's happening here, is, is my thing. We need to move on, though. We have a ton of news, a ton of comments to get through. But I wanted to read this because I, I, I would also like to see Xbox be a little more aggressive about these things just because it'd be fucking cool. It'd be, it'd be cool to be like, wow, uh, uh, Square Enix just butchered a Marvel property for the millionth time. Sony just fucking killed it with another great Marvel game. Uh, what's Xbox doing? Nintendo just sold a billion copies of Ultimate Alliance 3. Like, what, what's Xbox's plan? I, I'd love to see that. 
All right, with that really long, God, we're 30 minutes in. <laughs> we're gonna go a little shorter on the on the comments this week, but before we do that, I want to make one more thing to address. The Appleverse Epic Games lawsuit court battle thing has come to a a head this week with the news that the uh, basically basically the, the judge came back and and said something to the effect of like Apple has to allow people to advertise to consumers within their apps that there are alternate, you know, direct and offer ways to make purchases in, in other places. Meaning that like, if you download a game like Fortnite, Epic can advertise to you that there are ways to buy Fortnite things, subscribe to Fortnite things outside of the Apple store so that they don't have to pay 30% of everything they make to Apple. And a lot of news outlets kind of misread this as like, oh, big win. Now everyone can monetize their apps and shit without Apple getting a cut. And it's like, not really. Apple can still basically monetize transactions and things made through their platform. I, I, I've listened to a lot of uh, Hogue Law on YouTube trying to follow a story. And I'll be honest, most of it goes over my head because I'm tiny brained and I, I can't follow it. But what I do understand what I have gathered just from trying to really wrap my brain around the story is that not much progress has been made on this story at all. It's a lot of redefining things and moving the needle to make things seem like they've changed. But ultimately, um, Apple still has basically absolute power. But yes, there is a tiny victory in that it looks like app developers are going to be able to market to and add and link people using their apps from the app store to make purchases and make and subscribe to things away from the app store, although not necessarily in the most easy and convenient way, and not in a way that's really going to move the needle and and, and and cause people to stop, you know, making their in-app purchases directly in the apps and directly from iTunes and things like that. So, I do want to just note that that's a big story a lot of people were kind of misreporting on and misspeaking on all week. And then with that out of the way, guys, let's jump into the comments of which we had a healthy amount of comments. So I'm a little salty that we can't have one of those weeks where we spend an hour really indulging in the comments, but we we do got to keep the pace going because, like I said, we got a lot of news to get through. So you know how the comments work. You go over to youtube.com slash you slash Xbox on podcast. Yes, there's now, or is it C? I think it's C. Sorry, it's not you, it's C. It is youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. It will take you to the channel. You can subscribe. That'd be nice. Let's try to hit a thousand subscribers. We're almost there. And go to the latest episode. Leave a comment. You can say something nice like Jesse. I appreciate you trying to cram all this news in, but that you're also not trying to rush through the podcast. Let's let's get a big chunky one out this week. I got a long drive this weekend. I'm going to Merritt Island and I really want to enjoy a nice episode of Xbox on. I'll say thank you. It's very kind to you. I'm glad you enjoy the show. Keep it up. Or you can say Jesse. If there's a lot of news, you should just give up because you're one man and you can't cover all the news, you stupid idiot. And I'll say, yeah, you're probably right. And that's really mean, but I'm still going to read your comment. Speaking of comments, let's elaborate on some discussions from last week. Now, Count, Count, Count Skyla, I almost said Count Skyla, Count, Count Skyla, writes in and says, I'm a little concerned Halo is going to be a little bare bones when it launches. I know the multiplayer is fun, so that's good. I think campaign will be great. I'll wait to hear more, but... I'm hoping they're almost done telling us what's not going to be in, and soon they'll just start sharing what else there is. My biggest concern is that with no Forge at launch, I want lots of modes and some new modes available so that customs can still be robust. The XP thing's a little dumb, but I have no doubt 343 will add in proper XP at some point. Now, Count Skyla, I share a lot of the same sentiments you have, but I watched Actman. Shout out to Actman, one of my favorite um, YouTubers out there. And I watched his new video on Halo Infinite where he made he made a really good point about just how incredibly, you know, like, obviously they're big. 343 wanted to make it very clear originally that, like, co-op is back in Halo. We're not we're not leaving this feature out. 
Uh, Forge is important to have there at launch. We're not we're not doing it without Forge, and and unfortunately has had to towards the end of development make these decisions to leave things out at launch and delay certain aspects of the game. But the thing is, the thing that 343 has been great about from the beginning as a result of, you know, the backlash from Halo 4 and 5 and this attempt to try and really please the core audience again. The thing that 343 has been so great about is they are consistently like, we are nothing if not transparent with our audience. And I think a lot of this backlash 343 is facing right now isn't the result of Halo Infinite is a bad game or an unfinished game or a shitty game or whatever. It is the result of... 343 is absurdly transparent and they want to set the expectations so that there is zero room for people to get Halo Infinite on December 8th, boot it up and go, oh, that's not there. That's disappointing. Oh, why didn't they tell us this was delayed? Oh, why didn't they tell us this was different or this would work like this now? Or God, why did they change it? That was so stupid. They don't want that conversation happening so badly that they're willing to take all the heat up front today, tomorrow, a month ago, last year, whatever it is, every bad bit of news there is. They want to get it out of the way. They want to be transparent about it now so that come December 8th, your expectations are well in check because come December 8th, no one's going to be like, Oh man, I really hope I really hope they changed their mind and decided to launch Forge day and date. No one's gonna be thinking that. We're all gonna be coming in with the expectation Forge is coming later, co-ops coming later, campaign single players here, arena multiplayer is here, big team battles here. We know what the situation with the XP is. We know all about this stuff. We know the game was delayed a year, so we know they're just really trying their hardest to get this thing out in the most polished form they can. So they're setting the stage to be like, this is what you're looking forward to on on December 8th. Nothing more, nothing less. So that when we do play it, the expectation isn't where's co-op, where's Forge, but rather it's how's the single player? How's the arena? How's the game perform? How's it look? How's it run? How are the servers? They want that to be the stuff they're focusing on and that you're focusing on because they want you to know exactly what will and won't be there. So I think this is a really smart thing they're doing because what 343 have done here essentially is they've just bit off more than they can chew. Halo keeps becoming an increasingly massive project. You look at really the only thing out there on the market that's even like Halo is Call of Duty in that Halo launches every time with a campaign, a robust campaign, not just a campaign, but a very robust campaign a very robust multiplayer suite, and now more. You know, a very robust Forge map editor, and and now a lot more. Call of Duty kind of does a similar thing, where it's always like, here's a full campaign, here's a full multiplayer suite, here's a fucking Battle Royale component, here's a Zombies component. Call of Duty launches with a ton of content, but you look at Call of Duty, and you're like, how do they accomplish that in these three-year cycles like Magic? It's like, well, because Call of Duty killed every fucking developer that ever made a game you loved from your childhood, that ever made a Spyro game, that ever made a Tony Hawk game, that ever made a fucking Guitar Hero. They killed them all, and they said, you're a fucking bitch to Call of Duty for the rest of your life. Deal with it. And they have so many teams. They have three massive teams that work on Call of Duty in three-year cycles. Sledgehammer and Treyarch and and Infinity Ward, and then all these other teams and other uh, other smaller teams, that outsource teams that we don't even know about that just work and work and work on Call of Duty 24-7, nonstop, so that we get, you know, these new games. Obviously, they come out annually, but every Call of Duty is made in a three-year development cycle. And that's kind of what Halo is. But the thing is, 343 is a 
it's a pretty large developer. It's actually a really large developer, one of the bigger developers. But they don't have 800 other studios. They have a couple smaller studios that do work on the game, and we know that. And they definitely hire contract workers and, and, and temporary work and things like that, for sure. So they have tons and tons of people working on it. But Halo isn't this well-oiled machine of like, yeah, we have 8,000 fucking studios of massive sizes that just work on Halo 24-7 nonstop. It's predominantly 343 with the assistance of a lot of contract workers and smaller other studios, for sure. But I think that's the problem Halo Infinite's run into is, you know, making a full, complete Halo game in 2004 was one thing when games were easier to develop relatively, you know, compared to how they are now. And it was just multiplayer and campaign. And, you know, making a game on the Xbox OG was a lot easier than building a 4K open world, super nuanced, highly detailed Xbox Series X game. It's just, it's just different. And so I think 343 is up against this whole... They're so pressured to deliver a really compelling full multiplayer suite, big team battle, forge, campaign. It's open world now. It's still got co-op campaigns some fucking how. Uh, really, really enticing story. And then who knows? Maybe down the road there's a fucking battle royale. Who knows? But Halo has so much content it's set to deliver that I, I think it's just this story of like 343's got to take it a chunk at a time, you know? And that's kind of why I'm so forgiving on the Forge situation. That's why I'm so forgiving on the co-op situations because I get that. I, look, look around. Look outside of, of, of 343 for a second. Every developer deals with this. Assassin's Creed games are famously made the same way. Assassin's Creed games used to be made by one Ubisoft team, but now Assassin's Creed games, Far Cry games, all these big Ubisoft games are made by teams multiple teams in Canada and in France and in California and all these places that just put together elements and aspects of the games and they patch it all together and they all take different chunks and different rotations of work and they just make these games with these multiple massive fucking teams all around the globe and they put together an Assassin's Creed. They put together a Far Cry because you can't make Far Cry 6 the way you used to make Far Cry 2. It's just a bigger, more demanding, more more high-fidelity kind of experience. And I, I really think at the core of it, that's what we're dealing with with Halo Infinite. And then on top of that, we're just dealing with a buttload of COVID shit. Like It's not easy to take a game that is made in a massive studio, tear down the studio you know, more than halfway through development, or basically through the home stretch of development and be like, now everyone build a new setup at home and we'll all develop from, you know, the comfort of the internet. It's, it's a different experience. And I, I, I think people sometimes underestimate how incredibly difficult it would be, especially the larger a team you are to just go from like, yeah, we all work in this massive fucking office to like, yeah, now we all have to work from home. And it's, it's difficult, especially when you are working with so many contract workers and things like that. You think about, how many games keep getting delayed? You think about what we're about to talk about in the news this week, which is just everything is delayed constantly because these ripple effects from COVID are just like, hey, it's fucking hard to make a next-gen boundary-pushing game from home, especially when you developed 60% of the fucking game in your office like you always did. And then someone just knocked on your door one day and was like, yeah, everyone uh, put a mask on, go home, and finish up from there, you know? Uh, talk to your coworkers on Discord and figure it out. Like it's it's different. It's hard. So I'm not trying to give 343 too much slack, but I don't know. All right. Speaking of flying through the comments, that one only took about 15 minutes, so we're off to a horrible start. Count Skyler, thank you for writing in. Compassionate Choice LLC says another good episode, amigo. To further your point about Killing Floor, one I own the second one, and man, it's a special thing they made. Definitely a gem in the 
Zombie Survival. Let me know if you get it and I'll join up. I actually do have that game. I've had it in my Steam library forever and I've never played it, but I really want to try it one day. Also, It Takes Two. I can't give this title enough praise for a couch co-op style game. I can say with certainty that it is 100% worth a playthrough with your lady, although it is a bit heavy on the puzzle aspects for me personally. I've been chipping away at it with my girlfriend slowly and enjoying every bit. Well, that makes me just as excited as always, plus a little unexcited because puzzles. Gross. Nasty. All right. Got to slow down for this one a little bit. I've been talking a lot about video games, but now it's time to talk about Taco Bell, Australia. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't click away. Don't you fucking go to podcast unlock. Stay there. Hear me out. Jay writes in and says, hey there, Jesse. I need your advice. In two weeks, Taco Bell is going to open up its first ever restaurant in the Western in Western Australia, the state where I live. And I need some recommendations as to what are the must-have items on the menu. I know it's been ages since I've made a comment here, but I still regularly so regularly listen to the podcast and catching up uh, and catching the occasional stream on Twitch. Time differences suck. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure having you comment in. Appreciate the support as always. You fucking rock and. This is a great question because, well, because there's nothing I love more than exploring menus for restaurants I wish I could eat at. This is a severe, like, like time waste for me. I do this, you have no idea how much I do this. When I'm at work, when I'm at work and I should be working and no one's looking and I'm just playing on my phone as we all tend to do from time to time at work, when I am dicking off on my phone, nine out of ten times what I'm doing is I'm on the Disney World, my Disney Experience app, looking at one of the restaurants I either one have never eaten at or two haven't been to in like many years. And I'm just like, what is, on? you know what? I totally forgot what's on the menu at Victoria and Albert's, despite the fact that I can never afford to eat there. Let me just memorize the entire menu again real quick. And I'll just pour through and be like, Oh, that does sound good. Oh yeah. Oh, I'd put that in my mouth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, $17 for an appetizer. That's not bad. You know, and I do that shit habitually. So this is right up my alley. This is my, this is my fucking kink. So with that said, I've pulled up here, tacobell.com.au, which is, of course, the Australian Taco Bell website. And I'm here looking at the menu because obviously the Taco Bell menu in Australia is going to be different from what we have here in the States. So I don't want to make recommendations to you based on what we have here on our menu for two reasons. One, you might not have it on your menu. And two, it might taste different in your in your, in your country. So I don't want to be like, oh, you got to get the Chicken Chalupa Supreme. And then you get the Chicken Chalupa Supreme at the Australian Taco Bell. And it turns out to actually be not even close to what we have on our Chalupa. And it's bad. And, you, and then you resent me. And you go and you listen to Podcasts Unlocked. And then I lose a listener. And I lose a friend. And then I have to cry at night. It's a whole thing. And I don't want to deal with it. So here we are. We're looking at the Taco Bell menu in Australia. Australia. And first of all, let me just say, shout out to the Taco Bell Australia team. You've done a great job with the website. It looks beautiful. Now, I'm going to hit the fan favorites tab here because you guys do have a fair bit of different menu items. Now, the first thing I want to I want to see I, I want to I want to make note of is the cheesy double decker taco. This is a cheesy gordita crunch. Here in America, we call this a cheesy gordita crunch. But you fucking Australian uh, dingoes, I hope that's not an offensive term to you guys, out here with the cheesy double-decker taco. It's the same thing with a different name. Stop trying to be cute. No one's laughing. Call it a gordita crunch. You know what to call it. But with that said, Jay, I'm going to highly recommend, unless, you know, I don't. again, I don't know if it tastes different. It looks, based on the picture, identical to the cheesy gordita crunch, but... The Cheesy Double Decker Taco. This is something you are going to absolutely want to order. I'm going to highly recommend this. If there is a, 
let's say let's let's rate how important it is to try this menu item based on the Taco Bell sauce tier, okay? There's mild, medium, hot, and fire, okay? With mild being maybe don't try it and fire being like, try this or you're a fucking idiot. This is a fire. You have to try the cheesy double-decker taco. This is absolutely a 10 out of 10 fire item. Must try. Otherwise, your wife might point at you, laugh at you, uh, jump and tuck and roll out the car and you may never see her again because... She would just be that embarrassed to be around you. Now that's so that's number one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's the highlight from the fan favorites tab. Now let's go to the specialties tab here. All right, so you guys seem in Australia to have the nacho fries, the nacho French fries, be a staple item. It doesn't seem like a limited time item because you have a lot of different menu items that have the the fries, which I'm noticing. Now, the fries here in the States, I think they're seasoned quite well, but they're usually a little too mushy. So I don't recommend them, Uh, but that's up for you to decide. I know for a lot of people, it's very novel to have French fries at a Tex-Mex restaurant. So if that's your thing, go for it. But I'm from this side of the menu, I'm going to recommend the Crunchwrap Supreme. Now, we also call it the Crunchwrap Supreme here in the States. This is, it looks kind of like, I don't know, it looks kind of like a, like the, like a, I don't know how to describe what it looks like. It looks kind of like a stop sign. Like it's a hexagonal quesadilla stuff looking taco motherfucker. And this thing is amazing. Now, it by default, it comes with beef. But what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to use a very high IQ level, high level IQ move that, I, that I, I've been pervy to, which is the ability to substitute the beef for chicken. And this, is, this rule of thumb goes for all Taco Bell. Anytime you see something that default comes with beef, uh, pay the upcharge to switch it from beef to chicken. You'll thank me later. It's absolutely worth it every single time. But the Crunchwrap Supreme is something I have to recommend. It is you know, chicken or beef, depending on which one you pick. Of course, you should pick chicken. And then you got the cheese, you got the sour cream, you got the lettuce, tomatoes, everything. And there's a crispy, crunchy taco shell in the middle that divides the two halves of all the meat and the cheese and the lettuce and the tomato. And then all of that motherfucker is wrapped in a tortilla in the shape of like a hex- hexagonal, hexagonal looking starfish ninja thing looking kind of weapon of choice um and then they 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 grill that thing they griddle that thing so it's all toasty and delicious it is absolutely without a doubt one of the most supreme items ever to be concocted by mankind and if you don't try it once again i'm highly suspicious of what your wife might do there's a good chance she will tuck and roll out of the car once you reach low speeds of think about 15 miles an hour probably you'll never see her again she will find a new man who has a better uh, palette for the Taco Bell menu and you don't want to see that happen it will make a mess out of you so please do yourself a favor and get the Crunchwrap Supreme now with that said I must make a side note the Taco Bell menu in Australia is significantly pared down you guys have a much more laser focused menu and I think that's probably a good thing usually less is more when you have fewer menu items that are of higher quality and better you know better focus you're, you're focusing on making the few items you have as good as they can be rather than just having a lot of variety for the sake of variety so respect Taco Bell Australia, but those are the two big menu items I'm going to recommend to you because the rest seems like pretty fair, you know, standard stuff like a burrito, a taco, a quesadilla. You choose based on your preference. Which one do you like, you know? But here's the thing is, your desserts, I'm jealous. Your dessert selection at Taco Bell Australia is, as the kids in my generation would say, uh, is dank, it is fuego, it is lit, it is on fleek because here you've got two options. And in the States, we have these shitty little twisty cinnamon chip things and then we have, well, what else do we have? We don't have those caramel empanadas anymore. So what, I don't, I don't even know what we have on the dessert menu anymore at Taco Bell. Anyway, but you guys have churros, like legit churros with chocolate dipping sauce, which looks fucking awesome. And then you have what they call the chocadilla, 
chocodilla. It's a fucking quesadilla, but the inside's all chocolate. It is melt. Oh, it's melty dark chocolate. I don't know how I feel about that. Anyway, I, I, I'm curious. I'm I'm intrigued. I would try it. So therefore, I'm recommending you try it. So I'm definitely going to recommend one of those. And then the last thing I want to make note of is you guys, first of all, you guys make that British. First of all, you guys refer to your French fries as chips like the British do. And to that, I say, what the hell? I thought we were friends. Why? Why are you going to go and call French fries chips? Especially when you also have tortilla chips on the menu. So you call the French fries chips and then you call the tortilla chips chips. And then you, you leave people like me. And then you got people who who was it that wrote in the other day? Was that Sarugi? Who was this? another Australian listener who was all up in arms about us referring to um, burgers and, 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 and sandwiches as two separate things. Meanwhile, you're just calling everything that fucking comes from a potato or a, a fucking chip when when French fries are, are goddamn different. You know that. You know this. All right. Anyway, you have seasoned tortilla chips. That's just I thought that was interesting. They don't sound particularly exciting, but we don't have them on our menu. So I'd be interested to see what that's all about. Try the cheesy double decker taco, the Crunchwrap Supreme, the Chocadilla, or the Churro. Jay, let us know how it is. I'm excited for you. All right, we're gonna run through the rest of these comments. I might have to skip a few. So if your comment doesn't get read, guys, I I do apologize. We just got a really beefy show to get to this week, and we are already 55 minutes in. Fuck me. Sam Torres says, Jesse, I've been meaning to ask you since I got my Series X over a month ago. What Disney Infinity figure would you say looks the best, either besides? beside or on top when it's off of the console i'm trying a few so far maleficent or time look appropriate because of the black outfits still crystal perry the platypus is odd enough to get some traction venom might void my warranty uh yeah venom venom is fucking massive so he would block the fan and and make your console overheat so don't do that personally i like the idea of a little bit of a hulkbuster uh, on the left-hand side, pushed up against the console. Hulkbuster is one of my favorite Disney Infinity figures. I'm not even necessarily a huge fan of Hulkbuster from Age of Ultron, the movie. Um, but I just, for whatever reason, have always been really enamored with that figure. It's very premium and chunky and well-detailed and just fun to hold and look at. I really admire that figure. And then on top of that, I, I, he's just a fun character to play as in the game. Now, for those of you who who passed high school economics and college algebra, you will, of course, be aware, because you are of a high intellectual level, you will be aware of what Disney Infinity is, the fact that this was a Toys to Life game by Disney back when they cared, and it is a game where you buy awesome-looking Skylanders figures, and you put them on a portal, and they pop in the game, and it's awesome, and all is well in the world, and you might even fucking not have to... Uh, stress at night and drug yourself to sleep because you won't be so scared but then disney took it away because they fucking hate us and they said hey god kills kids with cancer so we can uh we can take away disney finney and then i basically just rolled over and died in the middle of illuminations because that's where i was when i found out that the game had been canceled which isn't cool but that's how life works and god hates us all but anyway personally i don't know these days i go for the tron characters i would go for flynn rider or cora uh, I think both of them look badass near the Xbox Series X. They both are dressed in black, so it matches with the black console. They are both futuristic and sci-fi looking, which also fits in with the really brutal, minimalist kind of industrial design of the Xbox Series X. So I think the Tron characters for sure would be a great fit. 
otherwise Hulkbuster. Those are going to be my top three recommendations. If you choose not to follow those recommendations, please tell me why, and then uh, punish yourself. Spank yourself. Candy, Mountain Dew, and coffee. Other food talk. Let's go. Lethal Migraine says A&W has tasty Coney dogs. Lethal Migraine, I'll take your word for it. Sarugi says, the fact that American Smarties are not candy shelled chocolate is both confusing and infuriating. Sarugi, thanks for being here. Also, Sarugi, I agree. Listen, I fucking hate American Smarties. I also hate intelligent Americans, so this is very coincidental for me. But more importantly, the fact that you guys are out there enjoying basically an M&M alternative with your Smarties while we're all over here literally eating playground chalk with added sugar makes me just simply outraged. It is unfair. I really wish we finally had an American president who would man up and fucking say enough is enough. I insist that we change our smarties because the American kids are actually becoming stupider every fucking year. They're all going to Jupiter. They're all getting stupider because our smarties suck and the ones in the UK and the ones in Australia are significantly better and the ones in Canada are significantly better and these Americans, they're just missing out. EA's King, 117. What's up, man? Number one, Mountain Dew Voodoo tastes like Skittles, so I give it a score of one Skittle of two Smarties. Skittles are better than Smarties, so that's good. Two, do you have St. Hubert in the U.S.? Street Hubert? St. Hubert? St. Hubert? What the fuck are you saying? Three, did you see the armors for the Season 8 of Master Chief Collection? Yes. I think they look really cool, and I think a lot of Halo fans are bitching about nothing. Just have some fun. Let the game be the game. Turn off the skins if you don't like them. Number four, Tim Hortons is great, and you should try it. Uh, I'm sure it is great, and I would like to try I always like to try new chain restaurants. You know I like to support big business. I've said that before. Now, Lethal Migraine jumps in and says, Tim Hortons? <laughs> it's a nothing store. We had one here, and it lasted under six months. Nobody cared. Caribou and Starbucks crushes Tim Hortons. Now, Lethal Migraine, this is a mean-spirited comment, as most of your comments are. That's fine. You're allowed to be the uh, local contrarian of the podcast. But the real reason I want to read this comment is because you brought up Caribou Coffee. I love caribou coffee. I love caribou coffee so much. Can I tell you one of my great sad, one of my one of my great sorrows in life is that when I left Atlanta to move to Orlando, I left caribou coffee behind. Now we didn't have many caribou coffees in Atlanta, but we had a few. Goddamn it! But in Orlando, there are a grand total of zero caribou coffees. Maybe this is because caribou aren't native to Orlando. I don't know, but we don't have caribou coffee now. The only exception is. Caribou coffee is served at Einstein Bagels locations. We have like one Einstein Bagels and it's kind of in like the part of town where rich people live and it's very, very just obnoxious high density traffic. It's that kind of traffic where like, oh good, I went through two stop lights in a 45 minutes kind of traffic. And so I avoid that that part of town at all costs because there's no reason for me to be there. So I'm never going to be going to that Einstein Bagel that serves Caribou coffee. But if you've ever been to a true caribou coffee store a la starbucks a la tim hortons or or dunkin donuts these stores are beautiful they're fucking beautiful you feel like you're in like a cabin in the snowy peaks of colorado or canada or something like that it's they're beautiful they're themed they're fun they're cozy they're inviting it is like starbucks butt fucked uh, uh barnes and noble and then add a little bit of like a snowy cabin in the woods thing and it's just so pleasant and on top of all of that Caribou Coffee kicks ass. I always love going to... Caribou Coffee is one of those few places I like to go to and get the fun drinks. You know, Starbucks, I'm like, whatever. I'll just get a latte. You know, 
I go to Dunkin' Donuts, I'll get an iced latte. Fuck off. I don't care what you have on the menu. Caribou coffee, I want to try your fun drinks. Let me have that Campfire S'mores Frappuccino. I don't care. I want it. Because caribou coffee is is fun, it is delicious, and it is an atrocity that, atrocity that it is not here. Local to the Orlando people. Maybe that's why Florida Man exists. Maybe that is why there are so many weird things that happen here is because the people are deprived of their caribou coffee. At least on migraine, thank you for reminding me. I am sad again. Temple Knight, last week I asked about Arctic Blast, Mountain Dew. Definitely remembered that wrong. It was Frostbite. Gave it a try. Not bad. Still a fan of this year's voodoo. Yeah, man. I, I don't know, man. I, I personally don't like this year's voodoo, and I don't like Frostbite, but I'm glad you do. As I, I'm glad you like them. I will say, both of those sodas, while I don't enjoy the flavors, both of those flavors have two of the best fucking can artwork. That, that, that shark on the can, so fucking cool looking. Now, you say you mentioned listening to wine sommeliers in atlanta i'm a whiskey fan and it's always been fun to break down the flavor notes of whiskey with my friends and family who drink with me i'm a tasting i think the tasting experience of anything is enhanced by the process of describing the flavor and texture of the food as best as you're able to on that note what's your favorite breakfast cereal jesse have you ever tried birch beer or sarsaparilla flavored soda temple night this is a phenomenal question all around you're talking about do you're talking about my experience you know anytime you talk about me of course who doesn't like to hear about themselves you're talking about great soda flavors that are underrated, underrepresented. You're talking, and of course, that's a reference to the birch beer, not the fucking Mountain Dew frostbite. And you're talking about breakfast cereal, which I don't think I've eaten in many years. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy tasting notes. And it, it's one of those things that's like I'm self-aware of it. It's it's so it's so fucking arrogant and, and douchey sounding. But it is fun. It's, it's fun to try and like, you know, experience new flavors with people and try to make sense of what it all you're tasting and break it down and try to categorize it. That is a fun thing to do, which is all the more reason why uh, I love to eat. I love to try restaurants. I love to talk about food. It's fun to be like, what is this flavor I'm experiencing? Why is this unique? You know, it's like I've had the combination of meat and cheese and veggies wrapped in a tortilla a million times before. But what makes a taco different from a quesadilla different from a burrito? What makes a Taco Bell burrito different from a... Del Taco Burrito. That's what's fun about food and, and drink. But more importantly, what you bring up here are these last two questions. What's the favorite breakfast cereal? And have I ever tried sarsaparilla or, or birch beer? Let me start with the latter because it's easier for me. Yes, I've had sarsaparilla and birch beer. I know sarsaparilla is root beer and root beer is sarsaparilla. The two flipped at one point in history. My girlfriend is a huge root beer fan. And I also, root beer used to be my favorite, but I'm definitely Mountain Dew guy through and through. I enjoy root beer quite a bit. So one thing my girlfriend and I, one of the few things we agree on is that whenever we find a new flavor, uh, a new brand, a new flavor, a new variant of some kind of like sarsaparilla, birch beer, root beer, whatever, you know, oh, I've never heard of this brand. I've never seen this one before. We always have to get it and try it because we both enjoy root beer a lot. It's really fun. I love root beer and I love root beer flavors, variants. I like sarsaparilla a lot. I like birch beer. I struggle a lot sometimes with understanding the 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 minor differences in these. Some of them taste more herbal. Some of them taste sweeter. Some of them taste like they're made with real sugar versus you know high fructose corn syrup. But for the most part, I find sarsaparilla and birch beer in in the variants of them I've tried to usually just taste like like nicer root beer. You know, it tastes like higher quality root beer. That's usually what it tastes like to me. But yes, I enjoy both quite a bit. Um, I will if I'm ever in like a boutique candy store or like a whole foods because for some reason it's always like a whole foods that has them or like just some kind of like novelty store or different kind of store that's unlike other you know unlike your typical walmart or whatever i'll always make an effort to to look for a new type of root beer because you always find one my, my girlfriend went to like 
some fucking like store for horse equipment the other day. She buys like this special type of like wood chip shit that's like apparently like a alternative for cat liver. I don't fucking know. Whatever it is. It's like some cowboy truck driving store. And I've never been to it. I kind of want to check it out. But she goes with, she goes without me to get the cat stuff sometimes. And they had some weird root beer there. She's a brand I've never recognized. A brand I've never seen. I don't even remember the name of it right now. I wish I did. But I tried a sip of it. It's pretty damn good. I, I, I love trying new root beer. Virgil is one of the better. My, my favorite brands of root beer, or Sarsaparilla, whatever. I like Virgil a lot. You can regularly find those at like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or one of those like rich people food stores. And then the other one, actually my, actually my favorite root beer is actually from a beer brewer. I, I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it is a Beta, a Beta, Beta Brewing Company. They are from, I think they're from Louisiana, I believe. Yeah, they're from, they're from New Orleans. No, they're from Covington, Louisiana. Yeah, popular, popular beer brewer. They're really well known for their, um, raspberry um, lager called Purple Haze. You may have heard of them. You may have tried them before. But Abita actually makes a root beer. It is a non-alcoholic, straight-up, just classic root beer made by this beer brewer from Louisiana. And in my opinion, it is the best root beer in the world. It is phenomenal. It is 12 out of 10 root beer. It is so good. When I used to work at this really shitty sports bar that I regret working at in my in my youth, uh, we actually had, it, it was one of those sports bars that's like we pride ourselves on how many beers we have on tap. They literally had 150 beers on tap. They had so many fucking beers on tap. But they had on and off Abita root beer on tap. So it's non-alcoholic, just regular old root beer, but made on tap in a keg from this beer brewer and it's super legit and it was so fucking good. It was the only good memory I ever had working at this shithole. And sometimes you can find it in stores. I found it a couple times. I found it once at a target actually, but never again. Um, I found it at whole foods once uh, you can order it online, but goddamn, it is, it is worth going out of your way for this. It is a good root beer, but uh, yeah, Avita, Avita root beer. And then as far as favorite breakfast cereal, man, man, I don't, I don't enjoy, I hate this about myself, but I don't enjoy cereal anymore. I mean, Reese's Puffs are pretty damn good. And then any variant of Captain Crunch, I like a lot. I know people be crazy about that Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I always thought Cinnamon Toast Crunch was a little overrated. So I don't know. I'll probably go with like Reese's Puffs. That's the one that immediately pops to mind. I'm like, I, I can go for some Reese's Puffs or Captain Crunch right now. I don't know. Definitely always usually choose like the chocolatier stuff over the um over like the fruit like fruity pebbles and shit like that. I'm not into that. Um oh, you know what else is a good one? This is just of like the kids' cereals, of course. Crave, Kellogg's Crave. It's like the Wheaties basically with chocolate in the middle or something. I don't know. Those are awesome. If I'm talking about like adult cereals, I, I hate this about being an adult, is I actually enjoy adult cereal now. Um there's like a special K with like blueberry and citrus clusters. That would be like it, that. That shit would put me to sleep if I were still ten years old. But like, for some reason now, I actually enjoy the cereal. It's, I never buy because it it's very expensive, and I don't even eat breakfast. I just drink coffee in the morning. But oh my god, it's actually pretty damn good. <laughs> it's uh yeah, special K blueberry and citrus clusters. Don't knock until you try. It's good. All right, head hunting halo says Jesse had the Dr Pepper chocolate. Sorry, Jesse had the Dr Pepper chocolate yet tastes somehow like. Put a, a, a yuhu in the mix and mix it with Dr. P. 7 out of 10. I've never heard of this. What the fuck are you talking about? Also, you say, Sony's con- Sony's conference was actually good this time. Can't remember the last one I actually liked. Want to play all those games that they showed besides Rainbow Six. Overrated like Texas Roadhouse Stakes. Love the show, Jess. <laughs> it was a good show. Although I think the one they had last summer was also pretty good. 
All right, Alan Wake. My brother writes in and says, Alan Wake is one of the best story, has the best storytelling in recent, uh, in in this recent trilogy of Remedy games. But the weakest gameplay changed my mind. Sarugi actually responded to this and said, Yeah, the gameplay definitely isn't its strong suit, but the but love the entire Remedy connected universe. So excited for the remaster and hopefully a sequel. Now, my brother also says, should I play Quantum Break or Psychonauts 2 next? Settle the internal debate for me. So I'm playing Psychonauts 2 right now and I'm loving it, but I got to be honest, Quantum Break was one of those experiences on Xbox One where I played it expecting to enjoy it, but I came out loving it. I don't know. I know I'm in the minority in saying this because, and and I actually like, I haven't finished Alan Wake, but I'm going to get back to it, especially with the remaster. But I, I loved Control. I love Max Payne. Quantum Break is my favorite Remedy game. I know that's a weird pick, but Quantum Break is my favorite Remedy game. I highly recommend Quantum Break. I feel like that game did not get enough attention and love. It really deserves a lot more credit, especially for somehow against the odds pulling off that live-action TV mix with with the game. I don't know how the fuck they made that work, but it works. It's a very good game. Please play Quantum Break. This is your daily reminder to all out there listening. Play Quantum Break. Don't be a bitch. Sarugi, uh, Sarugi even says... Uh, Play Quantum Break. Remedy is all the rage at the moment. Headhunting Halo also says, P.S. Jesse, are you excited about the Halloween movie uh, that is going to be free on Peacock TV day one? If you don't want to spend the money, super jealous of you living so close to the Magic Kingdom. By the way, who is hotter, Anna or Elsa? Referring to the Frozen characters. Okay, what? Headhunting Halo, slow down. First of all, I didn't even know there was a new Halloween movie coming to Peacock TV, so cool. If you're if you're looking forward to that, that's awesome. Excited for you. I personally don't like horror movies. Like I, I love Halloween's by far my favorite holiday. I love spooky stuff. I love haunted houses so much. Um, I love Halloween events. I love Halloween things. I love Halloween atmosphere and theming and trick or treating and candy and just the pumpkins and skeletons and everything. I love everything about Halloween. I fucking love it. For some reason, I, I like horror video games. I like I like haunted houses. I don't like horror movies. I don't know what it is. I just don't like horror movies. The only horror movie I can think of that it's like, I love that movie, and it's definitely a horror movie, are the Evil Dead movies, the Sam Raimi Evil Dead movies. I fucking love those movies. I don't know why. I don't know why that's the exception. I think maybe just because I have a Sam Raimi boner from growing up a Spider-Man kid. I don't know. But I really love those Sam Raimi uh, Evil Dead movies. Other than that, I don't I don't like... I don't like Halloween, this Fred word versus Jason, this whole, my face is made of leather and I'm going to stab you. I don't understand this, the, the, the love of like, I'm going to watch this person be a fucking evil piece of shit and murder people and make them cry and scream and be sad. I'm going to watch people suffer on TV and get enjoyment out of that. Listen, I'm not here to judge you. If you get enjoyment out of that, that's fucking great. I mean, I get enjoyment out of Sonic the Hedgehog, which is probably worse, but like, listen, it's just not my thing. It just never has been, probably never will be. Every couple of years, I give horror a try. I'll watch a new one. The most recent, like, new horror movie I ever watched was uh, It, that new It movie. I didn't watch the second one, but I saw the first one, and I actually I actually liked it quite a bit. I was surprised when I saw it. I, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't watch it again. I never saw the sequel. I, you know, I, it was kind of one of those movies I was I was brought to, I was dragged to. I did not like, I did not expect to like it, but I did. Uh, but usually, no, I'm not a hor- I'm not a horror person. At least when it comes to movies, I enjoy I enjoy like goosebumps. You know, I'll, I'll do some Stranger Things. Stranger Things is fine. I can do things with Halloween vibes and fall themed atmosphere and stuff like that, or campy stuff, or humor stuff, or like I like that feel good Halloween stuff, like that Disney Channel like Halloween Town kind of dis- like Halloween stuff, where it's like you know 
It's like, oh man, we're going to go to a town where everyone's an undead spooky zombie, but also it's a teen movie about like coming of age shit and learning how to deal with change and like uh, winning the high school dance competition. Like I, I, I like that kind of Halloween more. So, <laughs> but no, excited for you. Um, now I, I don't know how to answer your other question here, which is ho- who's hotter, Anna or Elsa. I, uh, I don't find either. I, I don't like Frozen. I, I struggle with that. I, Frozen is a very beautiful movie. It's a very well animated, very visually stunning movie. And I think Frozen has a fantastic soundtrack. The, the songs from that movie are so good. So, so good. Some of Disney's absolute best. Very, very, very good music. I, I don't like Frozen. I, I just, Anna and Elsa, they don't click with me. I can't, I can't tell you who's hotter because I, I don't like either of them. I'm not a fan. If we're going to talk about hot Disney characters, Phil from, from Hercules. Danny DeVito. Mwah. WRX. Mr. Miggy wrote in and says, because this is an Xbox podcast, I have to mention how disappointed I am with the new Subaru WRX. Also, I do think there's a PDQ near where you live because I did pass by one while I was in Orlando. Also, I never bring up Sonic driving because for a time I was addicted to their half price shakes. Dude, Sonic is amazing. You're, you're a shakes guy. You like, you like milkshakes. Mr. Miggy, this is something I'm learning about you. Very interesting. If ever we meet in person, I would love to get a shake with you. Maybe we could, maybe you and I could do a shakes and shake date. You know, go to Sonic, get a shake, shake her tails, TikTok the whole thing. Uh, I agree with you. I, I'm not crazy about the new WRX. It's, it looks, it looks a little. It doesn't look bad, but it doesn't look like a WRX. It kind of looks like like a like a mid aughts or late. No, it looks like the 2013 Civic. That's kind of what it looks like to me, with a lot of added plastic for no reason. All right, rounding out the comments, we're done here. Sarugi and Sam A round us out. Sarugi says, "Quote." We've never had a battle royale set in World War II, so that would be kind of cool, end quote. That's something I said last week on the podcast. Sarugi says, Battlefield 5 Firestorm has left the chat. Oops. <laughs> I, I forgot about Firestorm, my bad. <laughs> and then lastly, Sam A., with the most important comment you're going to hear today, says, Jesse, what's your favorite brand of toilet paper? We have a big podcast to get to, guys. We don't have time for this very important topic of discussion, but here we are anyway. We're going to have to talk about it. So I posted this to Twitter. It was such a good question. I posted this to Twitter and I got some, got some responses and it seems like from what I'm gathering, there are some pretty heated takes on what brands of toilet paper you should have. There are people saying uh, Charmin. There are people saying, I don't know. What's the other brand? I don't even know what the brands are for toilet paper. Honestly, <laughs> I'm not a toilet paper guy. And before you gag and, and stop listening, that doesn't mean I don't wipe my butt, but when it comes to toilet paper, I'm very much uh as long as it's more than two ply, you're good kind of guy. Because toilet paper is only step one of a two-step process for cleaning your butt after you take care of business. What do you mean by that, Jesse? Are you Japanese? Do you have a, a bidet? No, I'm not that fancy. Chill the fuck out. But I am a... This is something I used to be a little embarrassed to admit, but fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm my own person. I'm going to own who I am. This is my identity. I, I'm doing me. Fuck it. So, <laughs> I am on team baby wipes. And that might be off-putting to you, but baby wipes are one, cleaner, two, softer on, on your bottom, and three, I think they do a more effective job. I think they are just overall a more effect, effective product for a job that no one wants to do, for a job that toilet paper just simply isn't sufficient at doing. Do you ever really, th- and I don't want to get too graphic here, but do you ever really think about the concept of just using toilet paper. It's like, I don't know. It's like, imagine if someone like 
is someone like, ah, oh, shit, I'm so sorry I spilled my coffee on you. And you get some coffee. Ah, the coffee's all over my shirt and on my arm. Gross. And then you take a paper towel and you just wipe your shirt and you wipe your arm. And you're like, good, the coffee's gone. But your arm and your shirt still smell like coffee and it's still sticky from where the coffee was. And your shirt's kind of stained from the coffee. That's not clean. That's just drying the liquid. That's just wiping off the bulk of the mess, the tangible part of the mess. That's not fully clean. That is a that is 50% of the work. So my my thought process is those who think of toilet paper like, what's your preferred brand? What ply do you use? That is that is half the work right there. If you want to finish the job like a true adult, you gotta go all the way. You got to either hop in the shower and clean that bum bum, or you gotta use a baby wipe. And I'm a fan of the baby wipe. It's significantly cleaner. Because what happens if you take a wet paper towel or a baby wipe to your arm that someone spilled coffee on, right? Now you're going to get the stickiness off. You're going to get the smell off. You're going to get the actual liquid that's dried onto your skin off, right? This is this is how you do it. And so I'm on team baby wipe. What I do, it's a two-step process. You use the toilet paper. As long as it's more than two-ply, we're good. I don't like the super, super thick stuff. But definitely don't want that two-ply or one-ply bullshit that's going to, like, rip. That's disgusting. That's that's equally disgusting. But you start out with the toilet paper to get the bulk of the mess. And you flush that stuff away. And then you finish up with the baby wipe. Because you know what that baby wipe's going to do? It's going to make you go from being done to being clean, pristine, and ready to be seen. And so, what's my favorite brand of toilet paper? Uh, allow me to Ryan Johnson your question. I'm going baby wipes. Thank you. Now, that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts. Remember, next week, you're saying, man, what's your favorite brand of toilet paper? What a goddamn genius question. Man, I, I want to I ask a question like that. Well, you can. Stop being, stop being shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, video games, psh, let me tell you about what I've been eating. First things first, and, and this is the only thing. Speaking of Taco Bell, Taco Bell's got the chicken sandwich tacos. It's a new novelty item. It's fun. Everyone's doing it. Teenagers are doing it. I drove past a couple kids the other day. They were on the street corner at the bus stop doing it. I was like, where are your parents? And they're like, fuck you. We're eating chicken sandwich tacos from Taco Bell. Now available for $1.49 if you, down, if you, if you purchase through the app or $2.49 if you go through the drive-thru. Wow. Okay. So I try these motherfuckers. This is Taco Bell's newest gimmick item. You know these things will be gone in a month. And maybe they'll make a comeback if they're popular. But what it essentially is, is it's a, it's like a bread bun type thing. And it's small as shit. These are small tacos. These look like, like authentic tacos, how they're really small. These are like that size. And it's like, it's basically like a sandwich bun instead of a taco shell. And then in the middle, it is just a chicken finger, a singular chicken finger with a spicy sauce, a spicy Taco Bell sauce. The sauce tastes like a very, very yummy, authentically Taco Bell flavored sauce it's a very good sauce if you get the spicy version of the of, of this taco they add jalapeno to it as well um, although i didn't have that here's the thing is the sandwich bun tastes like a chicken sandwich bun and the chicken tender tastes like kfc chicken and so this makes sense because remember kfc taco bell this is the same parent company you often see those taco bell kfc hybrid stores where you can order from both menus at the same place that's not a, a, unusual. So I think this menu item was born from that kind of concept. And they're like, someone from Taco Bell was like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, neighbors at KFC, can we have a chicken tender and a and, and half a bun? And they're like, why? And they're like, don't ask questions, just do it. And they're like, okay, here you go. And then the Taco Bell was like, uh, oh, bun, a chicken tender, 
fold? Hey, it's a taco. And the guy at KFC was like, no, that's not a taco. That's half a sandwich, you moron. And he's like, shut up. It's a taco if you market it correctly. And then Taco Bell is like, yeah, we're marketing it correctly. It's a taco. And here's the thing is, it's good. It's fine. And in fact, it's more than good. It's it's pretty solid. It's, it's good. But the thing is, this solves... Or this item, it, 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 it satiates the chicken sandwich hunger, not the Taco Bell hunger. You know the Taco Bell hunger. You want that flavor only Taco Bell's got. You want that cheesy gordita crunch. You want that chalupa supreme. You want that uh, crunch wrap supreme. You want that quesarito. But as good as this is, and it's pretty good. It's not blow your mind good, but it's pretty good. It tastes like a small kid's menu chicken sandwich, not a Taco Bell menu item. And so I'm a little conflicted on it. Is it good? Yes. Do I recommend it? Yes. For $150, if you order through the app, it's $150 instead of $250 a taco. Is it worth it to go mobile order a couple of these bad boys and try them out? Yes, absolutely. But it doesn't satiate you the way Taco Bell does. It's weird going to Taco Bell, ordering an item off their menu, and then feeling like you just got your KFC fix instead of your Taco Bell fix. That's like going to McDonald's, ordering a burger off their menu and being like, wow, that sure was good Zaxby's like what the fuck no wrong it's good it's worth the money but it's the wrong item at the wrong restaurant it's the wrong menu item at the right restaurant it's the right wrong menu at the wrong menu item now that's it for what i've been eating but for what i've been playing pretty simple pretty straightforward psychonauts 2 i finished psychonauts 1 we talked about last week i'm playing psychonauts 2 i'm probably about a third of the way through the game and i gotta be honest I was a little apprehensive, a little worried, because a lot of people were like, no, 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 it's more of Psychonauts. If you like the first one, you'll like the second one. I kind of wanted to be different from the, the first one, and to my surprise, I think it is different in all the right ways. This game, it does have, like Psychonauts 1, it's not super linear, where it's just like, go here, now go here, now go here. There are moments where it's like, you can explore, you can get lost, you can have to figure out what to do. You know, you can explore the game a little bit, but it's... <laughs> It's one of those things I can't really put into words because I don't understand game design, but it is designed in such a way that it is, the game does naturally kind of guide you to the right places, and it's designed and developed and written in such a way that as long as you're paying attention to what's going on in the game, you pretty much always know what to do next, and I appreciate that because I don't feel like I'm getting lost at any point in this game. I don't feel like this game does any annoying old tricks where it's like, collect 800 of this to buy this item to be able to use in this specific level, but you didn't know that until you were already halfway through the level and then had to back out of the level. It doesn't have anything like that, or at least so far it doesn't. It's it's a lot more straightforward, and that's like, here are your abilities, here's how the game works, boom, story. And the game feels a lot more intentional and interconnected and paced appropriately. And, you know, of course, the big thing is it's been 15 years since there's been a Psychonauts game. This game looks incredible. It's visually a massive improvement. No, duh. It's three console generations later. It plays so well. The controls, the combat, everything feels so fine-tuned. Such an improvement over the first game to where it's just platforming feels like a joy. You know, in the first game, it's like, wow, this is a fun game, but, you know, it feels like an old platformer. It's a little dated. Now it's like platforming feels fun like i actually enjoy platforming which is a big compliment because three plat- platformers are my favorite games so the fact that i'm enjoying the platforming of this platformer game i think is really exciting and and the puzzles are fun and intuitive and not very confusing and it's a very creative game like the little quirks like uh like i got through the level where you where you're in hollis's mind and you're you're in the casino and you have to do you have to like unrig all the casino games to basically un- unlock the the 
uh, gazillion dollar coins or whatever they are. And it's it's super fucking creative. It's really, really fun. It's one of those it's just one of those levels where like every time something happens, you're like, oh, that's so cute. Oh, that's so clever. Oh, that's such a good idea. And the way they weave in like their storytelling with the gameplay is really creative in this game where it's like, oh man, there's this whole mechanic based around like changing your 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 um your thought track. Like, you know, like you think like negative thoughts e- equals like overly overly cautious or whatever so like this gameplay mechanic is like you can zip to the thought of like fear and then redirect it by zipping to these other thoughts to kind of change a person's thought process so it's like instead of thinking like like fear therefore safe you can change it to like like disconnect that thought and then connect like um, like success to like risk taking and now this person behaves differently and now they're like Oh, okay, well now I want to take risks and, and do things differently because these connections in my mind have been rewired, but it's also a gameplay mechanic because it's like a zip lining platforming mechanic. And the way they just tie the the story elements and the in the themes of this game to the gameplay mechanics and the fact that the gameplay fit mechanics feel modern and tight and fun to do, it's like it's cool. It's really fun. I'm I'm like I feel like I'm experiencing Psychonauts in 2021 the way that people experienced Psychonauts, the OG one, back in 2004 when it came out. Because back then that was a very modern, very you know up to date game, and I played through it and I'm like, oh, this is a really good game, but it's definitely of its time. Psychonauts 2, I'm playing when it's brand new, so I'm experiencing it as a new and improved game, and it's a lot of fun. I'm having a very good time with this. So that's the game I'm most actively working on. The other thing I've been playing a lot is I'm in the I'm in the Halloween spirit. My girlfriend and I have been going nuts trying to overly decorate the apartment with Halloween shit. I'm watching all my favorite Halloween movies and TV shows every night and eating candy I shouldn't be eating and all this stuff. And I'm really enjoying getting in the Halloween spirit. We got some Halloween plans at Disney this weekend with the uh, with their hol- Halloween party, their Boo Bash. So really excited about that. So I'm in the Halloween spirit. So I got to play a Halloween game. Psychonauts is actually pretty decent Halloween time game, but I can do better. Call of Duty Zombies. Dude, Call of Duty Zombies, I don't care. Forever is one of my all-time favorite games. Like, uh, COD Zombies, especially like the old World at War and Black Ops maps, like those are nothing like them. So I've been playing a lot of Cold War and Black Ops 3 Zombies, just really enjoying that in my free time, having a good old time. We did that on stream Monday night. I think a little, some of you might have been disappointed that we weren't doing Halo, so I apologize for that, but it's what I've been feeling, and it's, and it's fun. So fuck you, that's what I've been playing. Uh, everyone, it's time now that we're three hours in to get to our robust news week. Without further ado, let's jump in. All right. So starting with our first story, our biggest story of this already gargantuan news week, we're going to be citing a lot from Windows Central this week. So heads up. Uh, but our first story, of course, from Windows Central, all about some, uh, some game leaks. You guys ready for some some juicy leaks. Several unannounced Xbox Game Studios projects have surfaced via NVIDIA GeForce Now database. NVIDIA, sorry. <laughs> Providing possible insight into upcoming Microsoft published titles. The database contents published online following the documentation released on Monday refer to PC games in testing, including some tied to major third-party studios. The database comes from NVIDIA's GeForce Now cloud gaming service, with developer Igor July documenting a vulnerability that provided access to database used for internal testing. The result, the resulting list of titles compiled by SteamDB creator Pavel Ejungdik, sorry, includes references to some f- foreseeable projects, plus some unlikely 
to resemble actual products launching anytime soon, some unlikely. However, the entries also shed light on Xbox's future, aligning information from sources familiar with Xbox's plans. Database entries include the first mention of Gear 6, the unannounced next title of Microsoft's Gears of War franchise. Vancouver-based studio Gears Caretaker of the Coalition is expected to be working on the sixth mainline Gears game following the acclaimed 2019 predecessor, Gears 5. Microsoft previously discussed Gears 5 in the context of a large saga, with more of the Coalition's next project likely to surface over the year ahead. Halo 5 Guardians on PC makes an appearance as well, the last Halo title to not make the transition beyond Xbox to PC. Master Chief Collection currently serves as the closest thing to a complete Halo experience, with everything from Combat Evolved up through Halo 4, including spinoffs, but no Halo 5 Guardians. But it is important to note that since this initial report came out, 343 Industries Community Director Brian Gerard has since stated that the studio has no plans to bring Halo 5 Guardians to PC anytime soon. He said in a tweet, maybe this was Halo 5 Forge, but I can't confirm that there are, I can confirm there are no plans to bring Halo 5 to PC. We know there's some demand for it, but we've stated before, not in the cards, as the studio is fully focused on Halo Infinite and Master Chief Collection. We'll never say never, but nothing underway currently. Continuing on, the database also brings a series of code names tied to Xbox Game Studio projects, including Project Holland, Project Typhoon, Project Woodstock, and Oxide. Project Holland received an unveiling in 2020 as the Fable Reboot. Reboot, headed by a new team with Forza Horizon developer Playground, Playground Games. Action-packed heist-em-up from Avalanche Studios Contraband was once rumored under its Project Typhoon title name, or codename. While we understand that Woodstock relates to the Forza franchise, the unannounced title attributes to the initiatives, uh, attributed to the initiative relates to Perfect Dark Reboot, which was teased last December. It's the first public mention of Microsoft's Oxide project, however, which our sources, at Windows Central that is, indicate it is in the early stages of development. We understand Oxide is internally known as Project Indus, a strategy simulation title drawing inspiration from the city building genre. That is very interesting. So apparently they're working on a new simulating city building, almost like SimCity type game. Maybe this is from the people that make, maybe this is from World's Edge or something for, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe as a PC title, who knows? The reference projects provide a potential insight as for what's ahead for Microsoft and Xbox, although, as with any unannounced titles, plans can be in can, plans can change. However, references to various internal code names, some unreported, imply a level of legitimacy behind the contents. We also understand NVIDIA GeForce Now and other cloud streaming services have played a more prominent role in the development throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, providing remote access for work-from-home environments. With such, with such services playing increasingly crucial roles in creating games, we expect multiple entries to reference work unlikely to hit the market at least not anytime soon. Now, another update they posted following the story after the whole thing went live was that NVIDIA has responded to the leaks. They said that they are aware of the published list of titles and statements in a statement to WCCF Tech uh, claiming that database was used for internal tracking and testing. They said, quote, NVIDIA is aware of the unauthorized published games list with both the released and speculative titles used for internal tracking and testing. Inclusion on the list is neither confirmation nor an announcement of any game, but NVIDIA took immediate action to remove the and to remove and access the list. No confidential game builds or personal information were exposed, but they did state that the database was compiled of released and or speculative titles, really emphasizing that nothing has been announced and that this doesn't confirm anything, blah, 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 blah. Of course, they're in deep shit with Microsoft, so of course they're going to say that. So here's the thing. A lot of people are saying like, oh, some of this is true, some of this is fake. 
whatever. Here's here's the thing. It is almost certain that most of this is real. Some of these things might be misinterpreted. Some of these things might be pieces related to other projects or things that were left behind or things that were toured around with, whatever. But the overwhelming majority of what we see here is true. This is my take. Again, this is one of those stories where it's like, it requires a lot of like insider knowledge. Like, do you have sources? Do you have friends in the industry? Do you know things to really add a lot of weight to this conversation, to the legitimacy of this news? And the answer, of course, for someone like me is no, of course. This isn't the Xbox podcast where you find out the insider scoop. This is where one strange random nobody gives their take. And my take is on this in particular. This is a lot of legitimate information that was leaked. The fact that Microsoft hasn't had sh- hasn't said shit about this is because it's all legitimate because if, if this stuff were fake Microsoft would immediately come out and talk about how it's not real how this isn't happening and Microsoft is being quiet because they just had a lot of big plans leaked and, and ruined and then on top of that on top of that Nvidia did speak up because they're the ones responsible for this because it's their database and now they're like oh fuck 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 we're sorry uh, all this is bullshit uh this isn't you know this and that because they're trying to cover their own butts the only thing here that i seriously go okay well maybe the, is the halo 5 thing i am still of the mindset that yes halo 5 will come to master chief collection is this a reference to that i don't know will it come soon i don't know but i do believe Halo 5 inevitably will come to the Master Chief Collection. That is just a given, I believe. This could possibly be, you know, Brian Gerard talks about how, oh, you know, that could be in reference to when we brought the Forge toolset to Halo, to PC from Halo 5, because that did happen a few years ago. And to that, I'm like, yeah, you know, that 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 is a possibility. I don't think, if this were real, I don't think 343 really has anything to hide. You know, I think if this were real, they would be quiet more so about it. So there is a possibility that this Halo 5 one is like, no, no, that literally is in reference to Forge on PC or we're not playing on anything. Because again, it's like the only, if this is real, right, that Halo 5 is coming to PC and they didn't want it leaked like that, the only reason they would have to speak up about this and deny it would be because they want to keep all eyes on Halo Infinite and they don't want people being like, oh, I'm excited about playing Halo 5 on PC, but... That's not going to happen because Halo Infinite is a free-to-play title. You have a better chance of people playing Halo Infinite's multiplayer this this holiday for free than you do for them being like, oh, you know, I was going to try that brand new free-to-play Halo game, but instead I'm going to go spend 20 bucks on Halo 5 because it's finally on PC. So it's not like this existence could hurt Halo Infinite. So then I guess the other thing is, well... They want to hold this back because they don't want they don't want you know Halo Infinite to hurt Halo Five coming to PC success. Maybe they want to hold this for later on down the line when Halo Infinite's been out for a while, where the hype's died down, and then they could be like, oh, also since you guys are all Halo fans, Halo Five's on PC for the first time, and then use that as a way to reinvigorate Halo Five. So yeah, that's all. All that's a possibility, right? And and I do believe there's an uh, there's a, the the chance that this is the false part is this halo 5 thing yeah is it coming to pc i think at some point yes is this the confirmation that's coming imminently Eh, maybe maybe not it could just be reference to the forge documents remember the thing is a lot of people are using services like geforce now and stuff to work from home because again one day a bunch of people at 343 were like 80 percent of the way through making halo infinite and then someone was like hey there's a global pandemic and everything's bad and we all got to go home and, and, and finish this game up from home and all of a sudden people had to start using new tools and new programs and all this bullshit to get their games done and they were suddenly working in geforce now and all these things changed 
change. And so there's all these files on all these servers and all these games being worked on across all these platforms. It's a whole thing. So yes, is it more possible than ever before that data mining these kinds of services could lead to big, big news revealing leaks like this? Yes, absolutely. Which makes it all the more compelling. But I think the number one reason why we know most of this is legit is, well, first of all, getting these leak, this leaked information from NVIDIA is going to be a legitimate source. It's not like some random blog said something. Uh, my cousin's cousin, uncle works for Nintendo. It's not that kind of thing. This is a, my cousin's uncle, my friend's uncle, whatever. This is, this is, this is one of those stories where it's like, okay, they data mined this from NVIDIA. This, this is legit. This is at the very least something. And then more important to that, we know some of these code names, or at least people like Jez Corden and, and those in the industry know that some of these code names are tied to things that we already know about. We like they they say that they say that Project Holland was was the code name for Fable, and Fable's been announced, so we know that one's legit. They said that they said Project Typhoon was the original project name for Contraband, and now we know that's a real game. So the fact that these these project names are lining up with games that actually have been announced tells us it's like oh okay so that means there's probably a lot of truth to most if not all of this and then the gear six one like by show of hands who the fuck is surprised that the coalition's working on gear six spoiler alert for gears five you have to make a choice and one of the main characters depending on who you pick fucking dies at the end and then the game ends on a cliffhanger abruptly like yeah there's a fucking sequel to Gears 5. We This is a shock to absolutely no one. So the fact that they're like, yeah, we data mined this and it looks like we found some old project names and stuff for Fable and Contraband, which have already been announced. And we found some stuff on Gears 6, which is, of course, inevitably in development. No one's going to be like, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, Microsoft's making a Fable reboot. I don't know about that. Microsoft's making another Gears of War game. I don't know about that. It's like, no, of course that's all happening. So the, it's also the fact that all this data is incredibly in line with things we know. Affirms project names insiders have already known and that source that uh, people in the industry have already known. And then also is incredibly in line with the things that we're expecting slash have already been announced. Yeah. This is pretty believable stuff. So I think with that out of the way, you know, there, there are some people who've been trying to like take this a step further and get cloud off of it. Lots of Reddit threads where people are like, oh, also this, this, and this were there. And it's just a bunch of bullshit. So obviously there's some false information being thrown around, but I think Microsoft being quiet, this being leaked from NVIDIA directly, people in the know, journalists, industry insiders who are familiar with these kinds of project names, being able to confirm that these code names match up to these specific Xbox games. All of this leads to, yeah, I, I think this is pretty legit stuff. And so the only real thing there is um, kind of figuring out what are the other unknowns here, you know? Like, what is the project? You know, they say project what is, Woodstock and Oxide. We know one of them is apparently Perfect Dark Reboot, but what's the other one? It's apparently the City Builder. I would like to see, honestly, um, I'd like to see what that is because that's really that's really the big unknown from all this information because we knew about Contraband, we knew about Fable, we knew Perfect Dark, we knew Gear 6 was inevitable, but we don't know about Oxide. We don't know about a internally known Project in Dust strategy simulating game, whatever that is. We, so we don't know what Oxide is. We don't know what Project in Dust is. And these are the kinds of games. It's like, okay, are we getting like some SimCity building game? Oxide, I really want to know what the fuck that is. Because I, 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 damn it, I want to see Microsoft get out of the fucking multiplayer open world shit in, 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 the, in the Western RPG shit. I want to see them do something super unique. I want to see, you know, like a third person action game or a platformer game or something like that from Microsoft. And I'm looking at Oxide. I'm like, okay, what's this? Who's working on this? Is this one of the, you know, it, and likely 
it's another Western RPG. No, but uh, but the, I, I don't know because because now what what we've learned is it's like okay, confirmation of fable, contraband, gear six. That's not so much exciting, but the understanding that there is this now this project oxide and this project in dust that we need to be looking out for. Now that's exciting. So those are the big takeaways from that. Overall, you know, this is scandalous and this is exciting because of leaks. But this isn't like the really big stuff, right? Because a lot of this is like, oh, okay, we kind of knew about that, which just lends credence to the leaks are real. But there's not much here for us to really like sink our teeth into and get excited about until this second part. So listen to the next story because it ties directly into that and significantly more exciting. So screenshots of the upcoming Xbox and PC exclusive from Arcane Studios, Redfall, have leaked in an anonymous Im- imager post that has since been taken down. The post title indicates that the images are from Redfall's playtest, and that the images themselves are prominently featured uh, prominently feature several weapons, environments, and menus from the game. Additionally, several developers' testing and debugging tools and areas can also be spotted in the screenshot. So, this is another thing that is very legitimate looking. Based on the images, it looks like Redfall will feature different tiers of weapons, skills, various different missions, and player and players to complete. These features and other offerings line up with previous Arcane Studio games. The screenshots also seem to imply that Redfall will, at least in part, take place in both urban and natural environments. Details from the post indicate that players will be able to earn XP by doing missions, killing enemies, fighting bosses, encountering a variety of vampires and human enemies. The poster also explain that there are six characters to choose from and that each will have a special ability. The game has an open world style design with gameplay reminiscent of Borderlands. Have a look at the leaked image. Sorry. And then the, the post shows the leaked images. I encourage you to go out and look at these. These look incredibly convincing. These look like very early pre-alpha gameplay shit. Um, you can see a lot of dev tools and, and, and things and strands of code and just random shit placed throughout the picture. So you can tell this is obviously work in progress shit. But all there's nothing about this that looks fan-made or to generate hype. This looks like very internal, like, screenshots. I, don't, I, I guess I don't really know how to defend this with my words other than to just say, after looking through the pictures and tying it to all this other leaking and stuff, I fully believe this. I, I, I fully believe these are legitimate. Because the other thing about Redfall is they promised when they announced it that it's a 2022 game. Now, apparently, I don't know. It's supposed to come out next summer. I think it's going to be next fall. It's, it's an Xbox game. It's a PC game. It's a Game Pass title, of course. I think if this game is really that far along that it is about a year or less, supposedly less than a year away, right? Then, yeah, they're pretty far along in development. They have a lot of the game they could show, which, again, in this world of work from home and using these different server programs and NVIDIA GeForce and all this shit to get your work done, it's really easy for people for the wrong hands to get access to some of these assets and photos and pictures and information and code and all these kinds of things. So more than ever before, everything already leaked in the world of people working from an office in the internet age. But now that we're in the work from home era, I think it's just all the easier for this kind of thing to happen. And I don't know. I, I encourage you to go out there and look, honestly, looking at the screenshots made me significantly more excited for Redfall than that cinematic hype trailer they showed at E3 it was because that trailer was like every fucking game we've ever seen at E3 in the past five years where it's like look at this cool cast of misfit people they all dress really fucking cool they all look like they're sponsored by urban outfitters and they have fuck you can do attitudes and they're all like a little like they all look like they kind of jumped out of an Apple advertisement for iPhone 12s or some shit like that. You know, it's like it's it's like that kind of thing where I'm like, I can't get excited about this. But looking at these screenshots, I actually did get a little excited. I was like, this kind of looks like Left 4 Dead a little bit. 
you know, like an open world um, hero shooter variant of like a Left 4 Dead with more of a story and like I'm kind of into this. Maybe it is more like Borderlands, but from what I saw in those images and like the everything from like the menus to the options to like the you know, it looks it looks very legit. And it it was exciting to me because looking at it, I was like, I feel like this is the look at Redfall that you're not supposed to get until like four months, five months until the game's out, right? We're looking at menus and start screens and character options and inventory and items to pick up and things like this. This is the more minutia, nitty gritty bullshit kind of aspect of of the game and less so the here's a cool cinematic and here's a cool... Um, Here's a cool, like, choreographed gameplay segment. It's not that. This is, like, a look at, like, what the game actually looks like, for better or for worse, and all of its pre-alpha glory, you know? Like, this is a brutal look at what the game is to its core. And to me, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to get a real feel based on screenshots without gameplay, right? But it it looks cool. I'm like, fuck, that sounds cool. Like, if, it, if it's supposed to be, like, border open world, Borderlands meets, like, Left 4 Dead meets, like, hero-based shooter kind of thing like that that sounds actually like kind of fucking badass and the settings that they show in in these screenshots they look awesome it looks very very spoopy themed very again i'm in a halloween mood right now so everything about this game's look is really is really striking a chord with me right now so i don't know i'm in a world where back for blood is kind of disappointing me ever so slightly i'm pretty interested to see you know what all this game ends up being like yeah, the graphics look a little rough. It looks like it needs a lot of detail and polish, but, like, what do you expect? These are, like, pre-alpha photos that got leaked online. But, like, yeah, it just shows, like, I don't know, it just, like, the everything about these screenshots. It's it's hard to talk about this without you guys seeing them, obviously. I'm looking at them. You guys are listening to an audio-only podcast, but I'm, I'm hyped. I'm not, like, hype-typed, but I guess I'm using that in the wrong term or wrong context but i am now significantly more interested in learning about redfall than i was before i'll say that much so thanks to a lot of leaking now obviously this is a big a big loss for arcane and for microsoft and stuff you want to control your messaging that sucks sucks for the team working on this game but i am pretty sure this is a legitimate leak again no one came out and said otherwise no one said these images are fake this is not our game don't listen to this shit. Everyone stay to whisper quiet, which means fuck our game leak. Just be quiet about it and hope people don't pay too much attention. So I encourage you to take a look at that. It looks really fucking cool. Game looks a lot more encouraging. And now I'm wondering, like, when are we going to see the gameplay? Because let's say it does come out summer 2020. It's like, well, Xbox will be at the Game Awards in December. They always are. But when else would we see it? Just like E3 and then it would come out like two months later? Like, I'm, I don't know. But yeah, that is Redfall. That is the leaks. So tons and tons of stuff leaking. We got, we got, hey, this is cool. So I've been a little hard on Microsoft and Xbox lately. Let me just say, this is a little exciting because I know the first party's been putting out a lot of content in the past year or so with all these like, oh, we acquired this and got this and this smaller game and this and that and this, this pull for Game Pass. But like, I'm, I'm looking for like the, the cool shit. Like, you know, like, like when Redfall comes out and it's like a cool multiplayer game and it's only on Xbox and PC and not on PlayStation 5. Like that's going to be like a big story. Not like, oh, Psychonauts 2 came out and it's, you know, it's on PS4 because it was originally not an exclusive game and then they bought double fine and stuff like this is a game that's like no no no, this is an xbox exclusive so it's exciting to see like red falls coming out and then maybe gear six or the next 
you know, the next Forza Motorsport games as a service platform type deal and all this shit. It's like, oh, Starfield, which is going to be an Xbox exclusive. I, I got to be honest. It kind of in line with Hunter F's comment at the top of the show. I, I do try to be like, hey, I want people to be able to play games everywhere and anywhere, but eh, I'm not going to lie. The the fanboy deep down inside me, it is it is a little self-serving, a little exciting to be like, oh, it's kind of cool that we're getting this cool, exciting game that's only exclusive to this console. And obviously Halo, but you know, Halo's always been that game, so no one, no one's looking at the new Halo and like, oh, that's so exciting, we get this exclusive game, PlayStation doesn't, it's like, yeah, no duh, it's Halo, dude. But anyway, that's it for our leaks. Now we'll jump into the, to some new stories from Sony's showing last week that are pertinent to Xbox. This first one kind of tying into some of the discussion we had earlier, so Windows Central relays that one of the more prevalent games rumored in the past few years has been a star wars remake whispers of a remaster for star wars knights of the old republic the og 2003 star wars rpg often considered one of the great rpgs of our time the remaster of the classic has been long requested by fans and during playstation's showcase 2021 last week sony interactive entertainment lucasfilm games and aspire confirmed that they're working together on creating Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake, a full rebuild of the original game with vast improvements to every aspect, including rewriting some of the story elements, despite some controversy. While we don't know a release date at the moment, the project is apparently very early in development. Star Wars KOTOR remake is officially happening, and it's coming to PC as well. Platforms, uh, along with the PS5 exclusively for now, we know is a launch exclusive, meaning that probably be about a year before xbox gets it however the future release of an xbox series x or s is not entirely out of the question although players may just have to wait to see it release let me say this first and foremost because this is my big fear when xbox gets a timed exclusive it comes to playstation a year later rise of the tomb raider right a year later playstation gets it all's good when sony gets a timed exclusive sometimes that timed exclusive just becomes permanently exclusive and there's no real saying as to why Case in point, Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII came out, and they were Square Enix was very deliberate. And again, it's the same publishers between Tomb Raider and, and Final Fantasy. Square Enix was very deliberate to say Final Fantasy VII is a timed PlayStation launch exclusive. So, and they even they even went as far as to say for the first year. So we knew we knew Final Fantasy VII has to be on PS4 exclusively for one year. After that, there's no reason why I can't come to Xbox. I remember specifically being like, I want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake. I will wait for Xbox because I'd rather play it there. And it's only going to take a year. And we were all so confident that they were going to have that thing ready to go for Xbox so that like two months before the 12 months were up, they would announce it and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it comes out like the day after the 12 months are up. So we were pumped. We were ready. People like myself looking forward to this. 12 months came and not a, not a, not a peep from Scranix. And Final Fantasy VII has just remained console exclusive arbitrarily on PS4 and 5 now for no fucking reason. Xbox gamers have no access to it. Final Fantasy 16 is now an X or a PlayStation 5 exclusive. It's just not even coming to Xbox. And we're seeing Sony do more and more of this stuff with their second party games where they're just like, we want exclusivity. We don't want timed exclusivity or we want the guise of timed exclusivity that turns into permanence. It's not like Xbox where it's like, oh, that game's coming to Xbox, and then eventually, and this we see this happen so much with Xbox games. We're about to talk about it with Alan Wake. We see this all the time where something comes to Xbox, then X amount of years later, it ends up coming to PlayStation. Uh, Bioshock. And there's something weird with the contracts here, because when PlayStation does exclusivity, that shit never comes to Xbox. The one example of that not being the case was eventually when the Metal Gear Solid games came to Xbox through that collection in the 360 generation, which was a massive story at the time, but that's like the one example Example I can think of because usually when something's PlayStation exclusive, it's like that's it. It either gets remade on PlayStation or it gets lost into obscurity because PlayStation fucking hates backwards compatibility, but it never comes to Xbox. And Xbox's story is always like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, like 
maybe 10 years later, maybe three years later, maybe a year later, it, it, can, it comes to PlayStation eventually. So there's something going on here where, where, you know, Shadow Complex, that Xbox 360 arcade game, that was an Xbox exclusive, eventually came to PlayStation. Uh, Limbo, that was an Xbox exclusive, eventually came to PlayStation. We see this happen inside, same same developer, right? Or um, Play Dead, right? And so that's what concerns me about this. Now, obviously the first KOTOR developed by BioWare, now an EA game, and BioWare obviously not working on this. Aspire is working on it. So very different developer. And they talked about, you know, kind of controversially how they are going to be taking some liberties with this game possibly rewriting some of the story and the dialogue and stuff. It's not just going to be a making the game look pretty again kind of kind of task. So they're doing some heavy lifting to this game. So what we're going to get is going to be substantially different from the original 2003 KOTOR. And what makes this all even more like just insane is that KOTOR was an OG Xbox exclusive. This is one of those few games. This was like the reason to get an OG Xbox outside of Halo. And now it's just coming back only to PlayStation. Again, this is one of those things. It's like, dude, you need to, you need to like fucking like Xbox needs to go find some old PlayStation game that people are waiting for and wishing would come back and just go bring it to Xbox. Like go get like legacy of Kane soul reaver or something. Obviously that's not star Wars. So it's not, not the same kind of cachet, but you know what I mean? Like go do some backstab move like that. Go get some game that PlayStation fans want to see come back. That isn't necessarily owned by Sony and just go be like, Fuck it, we'll pay you. What does it take to get this game remade or get a sequel to it and have it only on Xbox with a big middle finger point at Sony? What is it going to cost? What's going to take? Because Sony keeps doing this shit and like, this is a big one because at first I was like, you know what? Don't be too worried. It's a timed exclusive. It's coming to Xbox eventually. We're okay. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't always come to Xbox even if it is a timed exclusive. Fuck. What if this doesn't come to Xbox? What if PlayStation has successfully just locked in a Star Wars game. That's a huge deal if that's the case. They just got their own Western RPG Star Wars exclusive. That's a huge fucking deal. And remember, Sony needs that right now because they lost Starfield. Starfield, they were trying to get that to be exclusive on PlayStation. And then Microsoft bought Bethesda and now it's exclusive to Xbox. They were going to get Outer Worlds too, but Microsoft bought Obsidian. They don't have a game like Fable. They don't have a game like Avowed. You know, they don't... Xbox has... Overnight, you know, historically, Xbox was, especially in OG and 360 days, and now, especially with all these acquisitions, Xbox overnight has become the premier platform for open-world, densely-packed, third per- first-person Western RPG open-world games. Fallout, Starfield, Elder Scrolls, Avowed, Outer Worlds, Fable, you name it, Xbox. And PlayStation's over here with their 750th fucking story-driven, linear, third-person, cinematic action-adventure game. Don't get me wrong, they're great. But they're coming out with, like, their billionth fucking one of those games. And they're like, fuck, we need a Western RPG. We need a big, dense Fallout or Elder Scrolls-like exclusive for our team. And what better way to do it than to get a massive brand to cash in on, like, Star Wars, and to add insult to injury for to a team, to get back, rather, at Xbox by saying, you took Starfield when we were trying to get that. So now we're going to go deep in your catalog, take a beloved game that is so heavily associated with your platform and get it remade from the ground up, looking beautiful and prettier than ever and giving fans what they've been asking for and make it exclusive to our platform. And it's killing two birds with one stone. And it's fucking beautiful. If you're on, if you're, if you're PlayStation, it's, it's a really, really ballsy move. And it is a good one. It is so good from the optics of like, 
PlayStation getting a win or PlayStation gamers winning. I'll say as an Xbox fan, this fucking sucks. This is a bad. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of feelings on this game. I'm really curious to see what this looks like. Aspire's not the original developer. Are they up to the task of doing this game? You know, these guys, this is a team, this is an Embracer group team that does tons and tons of ports. And, you know, they've made a handful of games as well. But they, they're they a port studio for all intents and purposes. And you got to wonder, how are these guys going to fare when it, when it you know, when it comes to remaking a beloved game like Knights of the Old Republic and not just making it look and play pretty and modern, but also rethinking some of it, retooling some of it, rewriting some of it. This is a beloved Bioware classic. This is from the golden age of Bioware. How are they going to do it? And that's that's something that I wonder. You know, they say it's a timed exclusive on PlayStation, but what if it ends up not being timed? What if it ends up just staying on PlayStation like Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy XVI? You know, what happens then? And so this is just one of those things where I'm like, we're going to have to keep a tap, keep our eyes on this one because I'm not entirely convinced this is a timed exclusive. And I'm not entirely convinced that this is going to be the KOTOR we all know and love. So this is a very interesting one. A massive slap across the face to Xbox. A massive win for Sony. And a really, really interesting game to follow along with its development. Unfortunately, I think this one's a little far out. This is going to be probably three or four years before we really see anything substantial in this game, which you could count as another negative for PlayStation showing because it's another premature announcement, but nonetheless, a very big win and a very exciting announcement. All right, next up is the Alan Wake remaster. So we talked about this last week, and when we covered it, I covered it from the perspective of consider this real. It was a rumor last week when we talked about it, but I was like, I believe this 100%. There's no way this isn't real. I think pretty much all this is exactly what it's reported to be so there's not much new to talk about this is more confirmation than anything but it's a big one for xbox so windows central of course our our one and only source it seems this week shortly after the store listings for alan wake remaster began to circulate remedy entertainment creative scene creative director sam lake shared exciting news for fans alan wake remastered is set to launch later this year in the fall Alan Wake is widely considered one of Remedy's best games, as well as being one of Xbox's best games available. <laughs> Sam wrote, Sam took to fan site, Sudden Stop, Alan Wake's fan site, to make the announcement, which is really cool that he uh, did it on a fan site and not through like a, you know, like a big news outlet or on Sony's stage. He, they did talk about it on Sony's presentation, but... The announcement was made on the fan site, and he said, quote, Alan Wake Remastered is the original experience you fell in love with all those years ago. We didn't want to change that, but the visuals all around, including the character models of Alan Wake himself and the cinematics, have been updated and improved with some choice next-gen upgrades. Hopefully we'll learn more about what exactly the new upgrades are for Alan Wake Remastered soon, especially on the high-end platforms like Series X. There's no exact release date, but prior to the listing, it indicated that the remaster was coming on October 5th, so we should be updated on this launch relatively soon. They're saying this fall. Um, I'm guessing late October, maybe November, but you kind of want to get out of November's way because November's where it gets really wa- really whack. And then while the original version of Alan Wake, of course, was an Xbox 360 exclusive, it was later ported to PC. Alan Wake Remastered is launching across Xbox Series X, S1, PS4, PS5, PC, and the Epic Game Store. couple things to note real quick there. Remember... Remedy has that three-game deal with Epic Game Store. I think this counts as one of them. So that helps tie up the whole... Remedy is making a million games. They're not that big a team. Where the fuck is this Crossfire X campaign? And how are they working on so many games at once? So this, I think, helps tie up one of those games. I think this counts as one of those three games in the Epic Game Store three-game deal Remedy made with them last year. So that's the first thing I want to point out. Second thing I want to point out, one of the very first stories we ever covered on Xbox on all the way back in the early fall of 2019 was Microsoft relinquishing the rights 
the IP of Alan Wake to Remedy, saying, you guys take the IP, it's yours, go do what you will. So to see them make a sequel or do a remake of the first one or something like that is incredibly predictable, right? And so this isn't this isn't a shock that we're seeing this. It's awesome. It's really awesome that's only $30. And it comes with both pieces of DLC. Now, this doesn't come with the standalone expansion whatever piece, uh, Waking Nightmare, I believe is what it was called. This does not come with that. Remember, that, that game's kind of like permanently fucked in limbo because of some music licensing issues with uh, songs they use in that game. But apparently those songs are so integral to the story that they can't just like get new music. So there's that. But the standard two DLCs that Alan Wake had are included in this remaster bundle. 30 bucks, pretty good deal. This is not going to be a, oh my God, remaster. Like, oh my God, they redid everything. This is going to be like up res, fixing some lighting, fixing some models, probably adding like ray tracing and 4K support and things like that, you know? Um, but nonetheless, they're going to take an old game and make it look a lot more palatable on the new consoles. And I'm excited about that. I never finished Alan Wake. I always feel bad about this. This is one of those games I actually feel genuinely bad about not having played. So I really hope I can get around to it with this remaster. And I know a lot of people are really pumped about this. I think this is a cool move, especially with seeing how Alan Wake's universe is tying in with the Control universe, which they're really big on Control right now. That's kind of their big thing. They're expanding that universe with new games, not necessarily direct sequels, but other games in that universe as well. So I think all of this is pertinent. It's timely. It makes sense. And people are really excited about it. So therefore, I'm really excited for people. They're looking forward to playing a good game. And also, hey, in the spirit of, of me trying to be all gamers should play games wherever, it's cool that PlayStation gamers are going to get their chance to play this for the first time. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this is, if you want to look at this in the cynical way, this is yet another Xbox game that is kind of a, you know, this is a game that's associated with like, this is why you want to play Xbox. This is a great game. You got to play. Well, you can play on PlayStation now. So they retroactively lost an exclusive title. Again, PlayStation doesn't lose that really often. Xbox seems to do this a lot. So whatever confirmed to be coming out. We don't know when, but soon 30 bucks. And I believe this is one of the three Epic Game Store games. Please give us an update on that Crossfire X campaign. We just want to know when it's coming out. We know you teased it and talked about it recently, but we still haven't really seen it in action. We still don't have a release date. It's been delayed like crazy. What's going on? All right, next is a slew of big game delays. So <laughs> let's jump into them. I've listed them from most important to least important, in my opinion. I think just in terms of like people's interest in these. But yeah, these are some big ones. So real quick. First things first, Battlefield 2042 has been delayed, and the timing couldn't have been better because they announced it literally an hour before I started recording. So the announcement reads from EA, we've made the decision from, sorry, from on behalf of EA, DICE, Criterion, and Ripple Effect, all the teams, of course, working on the game, DICE being the main developer. We've made the decision to shift the launch of Battlefield 2042. The game will now be released worldwide on November 19th, 2021. So a little less than a month's delay, about three weeks. So it's supposed to come out, I believe, October, what, like 24th or something like that? Building the next generation of Battlefield during a global pandemic has created an unforeseen challenge for our development teams. Given the scale and scope of the game, we have we had hoped our teams would be back to our studios together as we move towards launch. With the ongoing conditions not allowing that to happen safely... And with all the hard work the teams are doing from home, we feel it's important to take the extra time to deliver on the vision of Battlefield 2042 for our players. Your enthusiasm for the game has been very inspiring. We, we believe in the game we're making and think that, and we thank you for your patience as we put some finishing touches on the experience. 
Updates on the beta coming soon later this month. So this is, I don't have too much to say about all these delays, but this is the one I have the most to say on because this is a rock and a hard place type situation. The obvious thing here is the way Battlefield is always playing up against Call of Duty. And I think there's three important aspects. The first thing here is they wanted Battlefield 2042 before Call of Duty Vanguard because this year they wanted Battlefield to get its time to shine. They're trying to eat into that Call of Duty market. They're trying to build some ground. And I always have to put this in perspective because gamers don't fucking pay attention to this, acknowledge this, but it is true and it must be said. Both Call of Duty and Battlefield are extremely successful game franchises. Battlefield games sell millions of copies and make tons of money, and it is a very important franchise for EA. It is a very successful game. It is a very big game. It's a very beloved game. It's a very good game, okay? With that said, Call of Duty is actually not technically a really good suitable competitor to Battlefield because even though EA would like to compete more and more with, uh, with Call of Duty, the truth is Call of Duty is a cultural phenomenon that reaches and extends far beyond the general gaming population. It is the game that people just play. It is like Candy Crush. It is like Madden. It is like FIFA. It's not a game that gamers play. It is a game that Call of Duty people play. So you can be a hardcore gamer and be into Call of Duty. You can be a guy that literally owns an Xbox only for Call of Duty. That's the only game you play and you got it. It can be a game that even your Uncle Joe who doesn't normally play video games maybe picked up once or twice. Call of Duty is a game that sells stupid crack cocaine numbers of copies every fucking year. Even though, in the games community, the attitude is, Battlefield 2042 looks really good. Oh my god, Call of Duty Vanguard looks so fucking lame. Another World War II COD? The game looks like shit. Nobody wanted this. Oh my god, they're rushing the release. It looks like shit. Oh my god, the game's broken. Oh my god, the beta sucks. Even though that's the conversation, you know, fuck Vanguard. Battlefield 2042 looks awesome. I get that. That doesn't change the fact that you and your little gamer bubble do not speak for the entirety of the player base because Battlefield 2042 is likely going to sell very, very well, maybe better than previous Battlefields. Maybe it will get a lot of new players, a lot of new eyes on the game. Hopefully it does, and it grows, and it maybe competes with Call of Duty a little more than usual. Great. The game's going to do fantastic. But Call of Duty Vanguard, despite how much the hardcore gamers want to shit on it and want to downvote the YouTube announcement trailer and want to make mean comments on Twitter about who plays COD anymore, the fact of the matter is you are going to see Call of Duty Vanguard be the number one game on the NPD charts in November when it comes out, in December when it's been out for a month, in January when it's been out for two months, in February when it's been out for three months, in March when it's been out for four months. The only exceptions are going to be like, oh, maybe Horizon Zero, Horizon Forbidden West will be number one that month, you know, and, and Call of Duty will be number two or something like that. And then the next month, Call of Duty will be back at number one. It is the same thing as always. Right now, the most recent game is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. It came out last November, and guess what? Every fucking month, it's number one or number two, depending on what happens. If a very big game comes out, it usually slips to number two, and then and the next month, it goes right back up to number one because Call of Duty is selling massive numbers of units at all fucking times. People are always buying Call of Duty. Every time I say Call of Duty, Activision gets another fucking billion dollars in Call of Duty sales because it's just so fucking massive. There's no way to stop it. It's just the fact of the matter. So I always have to put that into perspective. I know it's long-winded, but here... So this sucks for three reasons. Let me go back. Number one is... Battlefield wanted to be out before Call of Duty Vanguard to help get those players first. They want 
there to be those on the fence gamers who are like, usually I buy Call of Duty, but this year people are kind of shitting on it. And people seem to be pretty high on the new Battlefield. Maybe I should try that. And they want those people in particular to be like, you know what? I made the decision. I'm going to try Battlefield 2042. I'm excited to jump in. Boom. They got you before Call of Duty came out. Now they can't do that because now they're launching after Call of Duty. That sucks. Everyone's got money for the first game, but do they have money for both games? And usually it's the one that comes out first that's going to get the more attention. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there first. It's going to tempt people to make that impulse buy. So that's a huge, that's part one. Part two is they're trying desperately not to recreate 2016. 2016 is the year of Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Battlefield 5, or sorry, Battlefield 1, and Titanfall 2, which was another EA game developed by Respawn. That year, they tried so hard to eat into Call of Duty's market that they tried to blockade Call of Duty. They went Titanfall, Call of Duty, Battlefield. They tried to like, they tried to sandwich in Call of Duty. So they could be like, look, we're putting out two really awesome first-person shooter games with robust campaigns and multiplayer suites right next to Call of Duty in hopes that this diverts some group of players away from Call of Duty and towards our games. And what it ended up doing was cannibalizing and destroying Titanfall 2 and making the game vastly underperformed despite the fact that everyone who did play it loves it. It's a fucking critical darling. It's one of everyone's, it's like everyone's favorite FPS. Everyone I know who's ever played Titanfall 2 has nothing but brilliant things to say about it. It absolutely adores the game. I myself am included. I fucking love that game. But the game was completely cannibalized and fucked because they put it up right against Call of Duty. Should have been released in the spring or the, or the summer. It would have done significantly better. But nope, they put it up against Call of Duty and they cannibalized it. And then Battlefield 1 did pretty well. But again, the whole thing was they just oversaturated the market. They thought they were going to pull people away from Call of Duty. What they did was they oversaturated the market and drew attention away from making any one of their two games shine. Although Battlefield 1 did very, very well, sold really respectably, got great reviews, everyone loved it, whatever. So I think they really want to be careful ever since that happened about making sure that they release their games as strategically as possible. And I think for them, that means getting there before Call of Duty and not cannibalizing it by throwing out too much shit. Just having the battle be Battlefield versus Call of Duty, Battlefield's first, cool. So that's part two. And then part three is, now we got to rewind, we talked about now with 2042 versus Vanguard. We talked about 2016 with the Titanfall 2, Battlefield 1, and Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Now we got to go back to 2013 when it was Call of Duty Ghosts and Battlefield 4. Because as you might recall, Battlefield 4 was obviously the follow-up to Battlefield 3, which was very well-liked, very well-regarded, sold very well. Battlefield 4 was a clusterfuck when it came out because the game launched in a broken state. The servers were broken. People couldn't get online. The game was completely fucked from the get. The servers were completely fucked. The game, was it was like a Master Chief Collection kind of launch story. And they can't have that happen. Especially not in a year like this year where there's so much goodwill surrounding 2042 that the only thing they can afford to do is have this game launch in a perfect state. Battlefield's weird. People are either always super high on it, super... It's one of those things. People just want to hate anything associated with EA. So it's like Battlefield 3, everyone loved it. Battlefield 4, everyone hates it. Battlefield 1, everyone loved it. Battlefield 5, everyone hates it. So now we're, you know, the pattern goes left, right, left, right. So now we're going to go back to Battlefield 2042. Everyone loves it. And then the next Battlefield will probably all hate. But the thing is, they cannot afford for this to be anything shy of everyone loves it. Because again, there's so much momentum with this game going into it. It's the start of a new generation. People are a little sour on this year's Call of Duty. It, there's there's the potential. Obviously, they're not going to, there's no chance in hell. There's literally no fucking chance. This game could sell as good, if not better, than Vanguard. That's not a possibility. But there is a chance 
that they can divert some attention away from Call of Duty. They can make this the biggest Battlefield launch of all time. They can make this the most beloved Battlefield of all time. That's a possibility. All they got to do is launch it in a perfect state. So by delaying it, of course they're doing the right thing. Take all the time you need. Don't launch the game unless it's ready to go. You can't have another Battlefield 4 on your hands. But also, the timing of when you line it up really matters because you can't have another 2016 on your hands. So I, the way I'm looking at this is like, I feel like Battlefield's kind of fucked now. Like, if it can't hit that that before Call of Duty date, it's going to be the afterthought. It's going to lose out on a lot of that initial attention and, and those initial sales. But also, if they try to rush it out and not delay it, they risk having another Battlefield 4 on their hands, and they can't afford that. So, honestly, I think almost the better idea would be to just delay the game to, like, March. Just wait till Call of Duty's, like, settled, and then put it out in the spring when there is no big, you know, Halo's out, Call of Duty's out, been out for a while, now there's another big multiplayer shooter. Maybe that's the thing to do, but I don't know. I'm a little dubious of this delay. I'm I'm still excited to play it, but like eh, I, I can't help but notice what that, you know, what that potentially means for them. Now, that's the first one. And that's the more noteworthy of the delays. The second one is Dying Light 2. So Dying Light 2, Stay Human, has been delayed. Their announcement, very similar, reads, Today we have made the important news to share with you about the development of Dying Light 2, Stay Human. It's always been our company's goal to build a transparent and honest communication with our community, fans, and gamers. Every day, we strive to grow this element. In this element, this is an announcement from Techland, the developer, from the CEO. The team is steadily progressing with the production of the game. It's nearing the finish line. The game is complete, and we are currently playtesting it. By far our biggest and most ambitious project we've ever done. Unfortunately, we realize that this brings us to a new level that we envision. We need more time to polish and optimize. This is why we've made the decision to delay the release to February 4th, 2020. 22. So this is a two-month delay. We're so sorry to keep you all waiting a little longer. We want to thank you, meet, meet the highest expectations, yada, yada, yada. However, we won't make too much longer. Dying Light 2, Stay Human next month. Next month, both press and content creators will get their hands on the PC and console version during an upcoming series of preview events around the world. They'll be able to share their experiences of the city with you. Fuck off. All right, whatever. That's enough of that. So Dying Light 2, I actually think this is a good thing to delay this one. Again, same thing as always. A delay is always a good thing. Take the time you need. Make sure you release it right. Don't release it prematurely and half-baked. Then you can really fuck things up. We don't need another cyberpunk uh, on our hands. Whatever, right? The thing here is I think this is the opposite of Battlefield. This is a good thing because otherwise Dying Light 2 was going to launch right up there with Halo Infinite. You don't want to do that. Don't, like, you're already past, you know the Christmas shopping season by launching into December. You're past the Black Friday shopping season. Uh, you you know, you're launching just after Battlefield and Call of Duty and right next to Halo Infinite. Like, just don't even fuck with it, you know? Just get out of the way. Go into February. And what they're doing here is really smart because late February next year is a very crowded time to be releasing a game. So what they did is they just kind of one-upped everyone by launching at the start of February. So they're getting in just like two or three weeks before the bum rush of spring games starts to hit. And I think it's a good place for them to be. It's much more, I think the first Dying Light launched in January. So it's very similar to how the first game launched where they looked for the early year lull and they're like, where can we launch the game? This is almost exactly how Dying Light 1 launched. I think it launched in January of 2015. So it was like, just over a year after the new consoles had come out in this perfect little window of opportunity where there were no big games coming out and everyone was hungry for new content or their new consoles. That's exactly how Dying Light 2 is launching now. It's just after the holiday rush during this little bit of a lull where everyone's like, got this new PS5 or Series X. I want to play a new game. These consoles have just been out for a little over a year. And by, you know, once this upcoming Christmas is over, 
a lot more people will have their hands on these new consoles. So it's this kind of perfect timing of just like we're gonna we're gonna capture this massive audience for this short period of time, right after Halo and Call of Duty, but right before Horizon and all this other shit. So I think this is incredibly smart for them to aim for this launch date, this launch window, and I think it's gonna work incredibly well in their favor. So unlike Battlefield, this is a this is that's more of a ooh, let's see how that goes for them kind of delay. This one's more of a oh, this is nothing but good news. So we got a damned if I do, damned if I don't. And we've got a good for you. Third delay, and this is the one that really doesn't fucking matter because I'm so tired of this game. <laughs> but as reported by Windows Central, Rockstar Games unveiled a new trailer during the PlayStation 5 um, uh, event last week uh, showing a new next-gen um, look at Grand Theft Auto V for Xbox Series X, S, and PS5. The new edition is now targeting a March 2022 release date, a delay from the previously announced November 11th launch. GTA 5 is the fifth main entry in Rockstar's long-running series of open-world adventure games, recently topping 150 million copies sold, making it easily one of the top best games of all best-selling games of all time. The game follows a trio of criminals pulling off biggest heists that would set them up for life, blah blah blah, while GTA Online translates the same action to multiplayer and is one of the biggest most played online games in the world. So this one, it's like, okay, cool. It's not like you can't already play GTA 5. You can play it on your 360, you can play it on your Xbox One. And now you gotta wait till March to get the Series X update. Like, do you care? I don't care. Does anybody care? Yes, Grand Theft Auto. The only people who care are Grand Theft Auto people. This isn't for gamers. This is for GTA fans because apparently Grand Theft Auto is the the end of the road for Grand Theft Auto. That's just that one game for the rest of forever. All right, so we're going to kick up the speed a little bit with the stories going forward just because, and I said because, that's all the really exciting shit, but there's still more because God damn, it's a busy week. You guys got a lot of cute comments. There's a lot of stupid things happening in the news, which we're about to find out because Activision Blizzard can't stop being fucking terrible to their employees. And here we go. Windows Central reports that Activision Blizzard's now being charged with unfair labor, la labor practice suit. A better ABK confirmed via Twitter. The suit filed with the National Labor Relations Board accuses Activision Blizzard of taking action like surveillance against employees, interrogating employees, and making coercive statements. Activision Blizzard already faces lawsuits that is, that is alleging multiple multiple issues including how the company allowed a sexist work environment to develop. The company has taken some steps so far with Blizzard Entertainment President J. Allen Brack stepping down. Multiple other high-level Blizzard employees have been removed including the game director for the upcoming role-playing game Diablo 4? Diablo? Diablo? Activision CEO Bobby Kotick stated that any employees who were found to have impeded the integrity of our process, quote unquote, would have been removed from the company, would have to be removed from the company. Activision Blizzard committed the ch to change during its Q2 2021 earnings call where they said, hey, uh, if this could affect the amount of money we make, we might have to do a good thing uh, just for the sake of our profits. Though employees note that their demands have not yet been met. The Department of Fair Housing and Employment has accused Activision Blizzard of not complying with its investigation. Although Blizzard and Activision insist that it has complied in every proper request, the initial lawsuit was also expanded to include contractor temporary workers at Activision Blizzard. Now, a copy of the complaint by the ABK workers sent to Windows Central indicates that Activision Blizzard is using coercion and threats instead of responding to workers' demands. 
So the complaint reads, quote, Management could have responded with humility and willingness to take necessary steps to address the horrid conditions some ABK workers have faced. Instead, Activision responds to righteous worker activity was surveillance, intimidation, and hiring notorious union busters. Stated Tom Smith, National Organization Director and Communications Workers of America, the National Labor Relations Board under the Biden administration has made it clear that it will hold companies accountable whenever they break the law. We have filed these charges to ensure that the actions of ABK management will not go unanswered. Okay, I'm really tired of talking about the story, but this is an evolution of the story that we have to address. It's a big evolution. The problem here is this is the story where I'm like, hmm, this is where I kind of go, not to defend Activision because I, I fucking hate Activision despite my inability to not buy a Call of Duty game with Nazi zombies in it, but I'm not going to, I'm not defending Activision. I'm just trying to play fair because I, I'm a, listen, I'm a firm believer in like, there's no point in exacerbating a, situ, a shitty situation or lying about it or trying to make it seem, you know, exaggerating, trying to make it seem worse than it is if things are as bad as you say they are, right? This is a complaint I had a lot where, you know, I feel like, I don't know, it's like when when people don't like someone in the media, when there's like a famous person that's hated or something, where people just spend all day nitpicking and shitting on this person for stupid things, like the way they the way they look or something stupid they tweeted. It's like, listen, if, if the person you are hating on is so abhorrent as a human being, let their abhorrent words and actions speak for themselves and don't look for every little opportunity to nitpick them to try and state your case and strengthen your argument because then you just make yourself unbelievable. And that's stupid if your argument is inherently righteous. This kind of reminds me a little bit of that kind of philosophy I have because there's nothing from this statement that backs up what they're saying. So do I think Activision Blizzard is guilty for a lot of bullshit, a lot of sexism, a lot of racism, a lot of discrimination in the workplace based on the based on the evidence that we were provided uh, from from this from this whole investigation that took place over two years, yes, because we have firsthand accounts of specific individuals who were specifically discriminated against or mistreated or or harassed, right? So that's why I'm inclined to be like, okay, this is a serious story. Most of this shit probably actually even happened, and this is disgusting. Something needs to happen. The problem with this evolution of the story is there's no concrete evidence in any direction. It's just a blanket accusation because they're like. Oh, yeah, the reports um, say that, you know, Activision could have done the right thing, could have listened to their employees, which I agree. They, they could and should listen to the, the demands of their of their workers. Absolutely. This is definitely an opportunity for them to just fucking get schooled and fucking do the right thing. Absolutely. But it goes on to just be like, rather, Activision's response was, it's the wording too, Activision's response to righteous worker activity was surveillance, intimidation, and hiring notorious union busters, which is what Tom Smith of the, uh, of the, of the, of the, um, sorry, of the organization says, the organization director. And I'm like, that's fine, but specifically, who's a person? What's an account? What's a situation of this happening? Because you say it, but you don't back it up with any evidence. Listen, I'm a, I'm a literature, I was a literature major in, in college. College is a waste of fucking time. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dumber than half the people that you'll ever meet that didn't even go to college. So by no means am I trying, am I trying to say I here am, uh, am, am authorized to, to speak on behalf of this situation. But what I am, this is what, this is the point I want to make. Getting a good grade on an English paper is so fucking easy. 
The cool thing about literature is it's not like math where there's a definitive right or wrong answer. You write a paper about anything you want to write. It can be right or wrong. It doesn't fucking matter. All you need to do is back up what you're saying. So you read a book. You read fucking, sh you, you read, I, I don't know, you read Huckleberry Finn, and you want to write a paper about how Huckleberry Finn is actually a really uh, thinly veiled metaphor for why Snickers are the best fucking chocolate bar on the market. You're wrong. Your professor thinks you're wrong. Everyone thinks you're wrong. But you can still get an A-plus on your paper if you can manipulate and pull out uh, scholarly research and quotes from the text that support your argument as stupid as your fucking argument is. That's what I learned being an English major. You can do anything, say anything you want. You just gotta back it up. And they can't even do that with this story. So that makes me a little like, what? Because they're like, these righteous workers, like, they're using that fucking adjective, these righteous, the, not these work, not the workers who have, who have made this set of demands towards their employers. These righteous workers are doing the right thing, whatever. But Activision can't even can't even do can't even listen to them. Instead, these workers are met with surveillance, intimidation, and hiring notorious union busters. If this was my thesis statement in one of my college papers, Activision's response to righteous worker activity is surveillance, intimidation, and hiring notorious union busters. My professor, this is what one of my professors would have done. They would underline surveillance, underline intimidation, underline notorious or hiring notorious union busters and under each of those three underlines my professor would write support with specific evidence can you prove this back it up that's the kind of notes that i would get on my paper and i'm just saying here it's like cool you made the claims now back it up last time we got claims we learned about that fucking sickening story where that employee died and then someone was passing around naked photos of her around at like a fucking holiday party or something like that that's fucked. We learned about the girl who was passed up for a promotion, basically, because even though she was more qualified than the male she was up against, the guy was, like, in the in crowd and cool with the bosses and shit, so he got the promotion, and she didn't. But basically, like, we have specific examples from from the massive fucking two-year investigation that talk about specific examples of sexist interactions in company, morbid fucking abuse of power, and and misogyny, and harassment. And we have all this shit, the pub crawl, all this shit. We have all of this information, all these specific examples. But in this new evolution of the story, with these new reports um, from, from the Communication Workers of America, they don't have anything to say. They don't have anything of substance. They can't, be, they can't back up any of these claims. So the fact that the story can be this thin, this short, this, this concise and just get nothing across. I'm just like, okay. So, I guess what I want to say is I'm not I'm not saying this is bullshit. This didn't happen or I'm defending Activision because I'm not. Fuck Activision. I fucking hate Activision. I would love to see this whole situation go as sideways as humanly possible for Bobby Kotick and the and, and the rest at the top at Activision. I would love for that to be the case because I love seeing big powerful people get their teeth kicked in when they're being shitty, greedy fucks. You know, we, t we see the kind of money Bobby Kotick's getting. Meanwhile, it's like, <laughs> maybe you could uh, work on, like, uh, making your workplace an inclusive, not fucking harassment-filled cesspool. Maybe you could spread that wealth to some of your lesser-paid lesser employees. Maybe you could not lay off people after certain projects are done. Maybe you could not get rid of the fucking Spyro the Dragon guys and make them go work on Call of Duty. You know, all joking aside. It's just... <laughs> I, I, I just... I, I'm not trying to defend Activision. I just can't 
really get behind this new evidence because there's no evidence with it. It's just more claims. So I'm putting this out there to say, this story is in the news. This is happening. This is a new evolution. We'll continue to keep tabs on it, but I'm not entirely sold by what is being added to the conversation here. And kind of to my point I opened with on this discussion, it's like, listen, we already know Activision sucks. We already know Blizzard sucks. We already know Bobby Kotick sucks. We already know these guys at Blizzard are complete fucking scumbags. We already know of so many shitty things that were happening at the studio. So why would you need to add more baseless fuel to the fire when your point's already made, people are already on your side. You don't need to embellish. And again, that's not to say that they are embellishing, but without any specific evidence to back it up, it seems like a baseless claim. So I, I don't know. So to, uh, to, to me, I'm just like, mm, and this is to me, this is just kind of like potentially more to the story, but we, we, we have to learn more to really know. All right, that's out of the way. I'm tired of talking about the story anyway. Uh, next up, Windows Central reports. Infinity Wars, speaking of Call of Duty in Activision for the millionth time this podcast, goddammit, Infinity Wars, last Call of Duty was in 2019. It was a little gem called Modern Warfare. It fucking sucked. The multiplayer was broken. The respawns are still fucking broken. It's super sweaty. The time to kill is too fast. But for some goddamn reason, Call of Duty fans insist that this is the best modern Call of Duty game. I don't know why. I'm too busy having a big brain to be able to reason with their tiny brains, but we all know Black Ops Cold War is actually better. Now, that's not what the story says. That's my addition, but the story continues. It appears that Call of Duty Modern Warfare is getting a sequel in 2022, according to Battlefield leaker Tom Henderson. The 2022 Call of Duty will be a sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare in information corroborated with VGC. The 2022 game, codenamed Project Cortez, supposedly features a campaign that focuses on U.S. Special Forces taking on Colombian drug cartels. This codename appears to be, a to, be, to be a reference to the 94 film Clear and Present Danger, which features... Colonel Felix Cortez as the villain. Obviously, this wouldn't be too much of a surprise considering the success of Modern Warfare and how it kind of reinvigorated the brand in a way, blah, blah, blah. Everything, including Warzone, is all based off this fucking game now because this is like the new platform for which Call of Duty exists. And everyone under the sun's working on this game because Toys for Bob doesn't make good games anymore and Guitar Hero's dead, blah, blah, blah. Now, while Sledgehammer and Infinity Ward do share technology, Infinity Ward is the only team that is directly working on Vanguard and will have a full... Sledgehammer is the only team that is not directly working on Vanguard at the moment and will have the full three years to develop its new game. Since, of course, Treyarch, the Black Ops guys, are working on the zombie element of Vanguard, Sledgehammer's making the campaign a multiplayer, and studios like Toys for Bob and Activision Shanghai are also working on... Warzone and other shit like that. Raven's working on Warzone. They're also working on some other shit as well. So the only thing is that th this is like the Gear 6 thing. It's like no one's surprised. With the success of Modern Warfare 2019, of course they're going back to Modern Warfare. Of course there's more Modern Warfares in the cards. What is surprising here is that they're going to take the story allegedly to this uh, Columbia fighting drug cartels. I actually think that's kind of interesting for Call of Duty since Call of Duty, especially the modern warfare games are always so usually like, oh, terrorists bad, Russians bad, America's good. So that's part of why I've never, even even with the good modern warfare games like Modern Warfare 1 and 2, I never really resonated with them nearly as much as like Black Ops because I always found like the games are super fun. The level design's really good. The multiplayer's really good in those classic modern warfare games. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I'm always just like, eh, fucking the whole, like, vague Middle Eastern terrorist fight thing, like, 9-11 cucking, like, American cuck lord thing. Like, to me, that's always been like, eh, I don't care. And I'll be honest, I don't fully understand the story of the original Modern Warfare games. I haven't played them in so long. I would have to play them again to really 
understand more in context with what they were about um, in all fairness. But like, I don't know, like I've always found Modern Warfare incredibly uninteresting as a result of it's just like brown terrorist bad, 9-11 bad, America good, fight. So like the fact that we're getting away from that is like oh okay okay that's kind of interesting. What story do you want to tell? Do you want to talk about uh, like a like a, a kind of like near future like communist China like all out nuclear warfare? That'd be cool. No oh okay oh wait what's that? Activision is too busy cucking out to the CCP so we can't tell interesting stories. Okay oh well Colombian drug cart drug cartels that's kind of interesting as well actually it's it's been done a handful of times in games but I don't we've never really done that in Call of Duty that's like. I don't know, that's that's pretty interesting. So I'm actually all for that. I would I'd welcome that. And I actually enjoyed the Modern Warfare 2019 campaign. It was the only thing about that game I liked, actually, was the campaign was pretty good. So I'd be interested to see this and, and probably play it as well. But yeah, this is um this is unsurprising, right? It's like no shit. What else would I mean you think about Infinity Ward, the Modern Warfare developer, they had Modern Warfare one and two, of course, re- like made Call of Duty what it is today. Modern Warfare three, which I never played, but apparently a lot of people really enjoyed. And then they did Ghost, which like it or hate it, you know, that game just didn't light the world on fire the way Modern Warfare and Black Ops did. And then they did Infinite Warfare, which again, it was like like it or hate it, don't don't fight me on it. It just didn't light the world on fire the way Black Ops was kind of running it at the time. And then they are like, okay, well, let's come back and, and go back to Modern Warfare. And then they did Modern Warfare 2019. It's like, boom, people cared again. And ever, all of a sudden, they're on the map again. So and honestly, those Call of Duty Ghosts, Infinite Warfare, those six years that they weren't the Modern Warfare guys, during those years, it was like Treyarch was the A-team, right? And I feel like now Infinity Ward's kind of back to being the A-team now that they're back on Modern Warfare. It's kind of how they're looked at internally and by the community. So I can't see them wanting to stray away from Modern Warfare, especially after having learned that long, hard lesson and, and seeing the reaction to them going back to Modern Warfare. So this is, uh, I know, exciting for a lot of people. Modern Warfare is the Call of Duty that most gets them. And I, I think this is a more interesting setting than, again, another like Middle East terrorist. Shoot them. So, yeah, there's that. And then our last wrap up, our last story here before we get into the wrap ups, IGN reports. So this this one's a little funny. Randy Pitchford of Gearbox Studios has announced a new Brothers in Arms game months ago, and no one seemed to notice. As spotted by Xputer, Pitchford announced that Gearbox is working on a new entry to Brothers in Arms during a podcast interview with Ted Price of Insomnia Games back in April this year. While the episode of the Game Maker's Notebook originally aired back in April, news of the announcement has finally been picked up. Uh, after the podcast was uploaded to YouTube later this month. The discussion, while discussing the larger topic of the studio announcements and how these have been timed correctly to avoid sending fans' expectations into overdrive, Pitchford spoke about the preferred method for revealing games using Borderlands 3 as an example before casually announcing Brothers in Arms uh, to reinforce the point. He says, quote, I didn't announce Borderlands 3 until, like, it was in beta. And it sucks because we're working on another Brothers in Arms game, but I'm not saying shit until we have it. We have fans that really love that, and they're just going to have to suffer. For those who like to listen to the excerpt, it begins around the 53-minute mark of the podcast. Brothers in Arms began back in 2005 with the release of Brothers in Arms Road to Hill 30. For PC and consoles, the title garnered interest and poised as it poised fans to command, um, fans in command of their very own small tactical units, as they look to maneuver through enemy forces. Since the number of subsequent titles in the series have released, the most recent was Brothers in Arms 3 Son of War in 2014 for mobile. In 2015, Gearbox announced that they had canceled production on Brothers in Arms 4 Furious, um, a title that looked to set 
looks set to return the Brothers in Arms franchise to PC and console. Following its cancellation, however, Pitchford said at the time that the game had eventually been repurposed and became what we know today as the free-to-play shooter Battleborn, which released in May of 2016, although it's not clear whether the new Brothers in Arms game would reprise Furious 4's ideas. This is kind of infuriating for me because I actually listen to this podcast. This is one of the few video game podcasts I do listen to is the Game Maker's Notebook. It's it, it Every couple of months, it's supposed to be hosted by like a different like industry insider, and Ted Price is on it a lot, and there was actually a really good episode like a year ago. It was Ted Price of Insomniac and Phil Spencer. It was actually one of the better podcasts uh, Phil Spencer's been on, and I say that because Phil Spencer's just on so many podcasts. But yeah, this is a really good, a really insightful podcast I do listen to sometimes, and I would recommend you check it out. But uh, I, I never listened to this episode, and so I, I never, I never heard this. But this is this is funny. This is actually interesting in in, in a sense, though, because Brothers in Arms, a beloved game, is kind of in that echelon of like kind of forgotten. I, I know, I know, it's really beloved, so I don't mean to talk down on it at all. I'm, I'm not. It's just. You know, in the world of like Call of Duty and Battlefield being what they are, Brothers in Arms is definitely not of that ilk, right? So now that, you know, Gearbox is part of Embracer Group and all that, this is kind of like, you know, bringing back some like Brothers in Arms is kind of like what Coke Media and Embracer Group and all these te- all these teams are doing with like THQ Nordic and bringing back all these like AA, early 2000s, mid 2000s kinds of games we just don't see anymore. I feel like this is kind of in line with that. So it's kind of the perfect game for them to do now that they're under this Embracer group. But at the same time, I think this is really cool because Brothers in Arms has a lot of, I feel like in, in the world where storytelling in, in gameplay and that marriage of the two has gotten so incredibly compelling with games like Gears 5 and God of War 2018 and things like that. I feel like Brothers in Arms is a series that's poised to do that in the war shooter space, unlike anything we've seen. You know, Call of Duty certainly isn't the game that marries like narrative and gameplay in a way that is like emotionally moving and, and, and causes you to think like Call of Duty's fun. And sometimes they have cool stories, but like, let's be honest, no matter how cool a cutscene in Call of Duty is, the next, the next gameplay scene is you mowing down 200 people. So it's like, you know, there's always that disconnect between what the story is and what the gameplay is. But Brothers in Arms has always been a little more grounded, a little more tactical, a little more story-driven. And I feel like with the trappings of a modern game, with the kind of things we've learned since Brothers in Arms was Brothers in Arms was really in its prime back in the in the mid 2000s and whatnot. I feel like we game development and game design has come a long ways uh, enough to where this could be something really, really special. This could be a really interesting narrative adventure that could really offer something in the war game kind of space that's very different from what we know as the norm. You know, I don't have too much to say on this. I'm not a big Brothers in Arms fan. I've, I've never really played these games extensively. I've dabbled in the first one and one of the mobile ones. So I can't really speak to it too much outside of that. And at this point, the podcast has just been going so long that I'm like, all right, let's keep it quick. But this is something certainly that what I just find interesting is like, how did surely there were smaller outlets that were covering the story. And it was just the big outlets hadn't caught on. But the fact that this story's just been floating out there all this time and no one's been talking about it. It's just kind of, kind of funny, but you know, you assume this is probably something we're going to see in the next year or two as Borderlands 3 is now... Borderlands 3 is now two years old, right? And, you know, Gearbox is usually that kind of company that's like, they put out a new game every three to five years. So I feel like 
next year we'll, we'd probably see something like this, right? So, I mean, in this whole excerpt from this podcast was basically Randy Pitchford saying, you know, I I prefer to come out, you know, with my announcements once we're once we have something substantial to show. So, whenever they announce this, it will be much closer to the game's actual launch date, unlike games like Wolverine or games like Perfect Dark, where it's like, here's a video for a game that you might see in four years. <laughs> So that's that. And then rounding out, guys, we got some uh, new games coming to Game Pass. So from the Xbox Wire, uh, coming soon to Game Pass on September 15th, we've got Flynn, Son of Crimson, coming to Cloud Console and PC. On September 16th, we got I Am Fish, Skatebird, and Superliminal. Uh, Skatebird and I Am Fish are in particular games worth checking out. I don't know about Superliminal, but all coming to Cloud Console and PC. On September 17th, Origami 2 comes to Cloud Console and PC. I know a lot of you guys are looking forward to that. A handful of you were talking about it in the stream the other day. On September 23rd, we've got Lost Words Beyond the Page on Cloud Console and PC, Sable on Cloud Console and PC, and Subnautical Below Zero, Cloud Console and PC, as well as Tainted Grail Conquest coming to PC. On September 28th, we've got Lemnis Gate coming to Cloud or Console and PC. And then on September 30th, we've got Astria Ascending on Cloud Console and PC, as well as Unsighted on Console and PC. And lastly, on October 1st, Phoenix Point comes to console via Game Pass. Now, there are a small handful of games leaving Game Pass on September 30th, and they are as follows. Drake Hollow on Cloud Console and PC. I Can Fell on Cloud Console and PC, which is only came, I feel like that only came out a few months ago, right? Night in the Woods, Cloud Console and PC, Kathy Rain on PC, and Warhammer Vermintide 2 on Cloud and Console. So all leaving September 30th. Download, play them this weekend if you want to. Uh, they will be gone in the next week and a half or so, two weeks, whatever it is. Now that's it for all the big news. Now that we're this far into the show, guys, let's wrap up with the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, not important enough to warrant their own discussion. The first one being of somewhat serious note, at least for people like myself, and I know many of you who love Halo. 343 Industries have confirmed the second test flight for Halo Infinite is stated is slated to begin September 24th which is very soon. It's possible that the unexpected circumstances to are, have delayed the test flight's release, but now we know when it's expected to come. Anyone who is registered as a Halo Insider past or before September 13th will be eligible to participate in 343 Promises. Significantly more people will be invited this time. In terms of what content to expect, they have promised uh, Arena will be back, Big Team Battle, PvP will be here for the first time, and the flight will also mark the first time fans are able to try out um, that big uh, that 12v12 big team battle mode, which is new to Halo Infinite, aside from its classic 8v8. Um, big team battle uh, will also give players a chance to test out some of Halo Infinite's vehicles for the first time, so stay tuned for more on that. Of course, we'll be streaming and playing the fuck out of that when we can. Destroy All Humans 2 Remake? Maybe. IGN reports that the now del deleted tweet, PlayStation accidentally announced Destroy All Humans 2, noting that the game will come to PS5. A trailer was also shared, but mentioned that the game, uh, but did not mention the release date. End of the trailer notes that THQ and Black Forest games are tied to the remake, and then everything was deleted, and they're like, oh, that's not happening. The tweet has since been deleted ahead of a planned THQ Nordic 10th anniversary live stream set for later this week. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, it might officially be announced, but this is obviously legit and actually happening. So we'll probably talk about that next week on the podcast. Next, Windows Central reports that Movies Anywhere has launched an app for Xbox consoles this week, including on Xbox One, Series S, and X. 
Movies Anywhere is a service that it's a Disney-owned service actually that allows you to bring together films that you've purchased all into one app. So you register your accounts from Amazon Prime Video, Vudu, Google Play, Microsoft Movies and TV, several other popular services, and then it will tie it all to your Movies Anywhere uh, launcher, where you can just watch all those movies from all those services on one in one convenient spot. It's a really great service. I've been using this for years. I'm so grateful that they're finally making an Xbox app for it. So I am looking forward to that for sure. And you go download that actually. And then lastly, Sega and Creative Assembly have revealed that their upcoming real-time strategy game, Total War Warhammer 3, is delayed to early 2022. The team explained that the decision has been made in order to make the game as polished as it possibly can be. Shocker, that's obviously all we're fucking hearing this week is delay, delay, delay. But guys, with that said, we are done with the show. Now, obviously, we're approaching a three-hour podcast this week. So I'm actually going to skip the new game releases of the week. Um, There are 19 of them. It's on Xbox Wire if you really want to go through and read it. But guys, fucking massive podcast. I got a lot of editing to get to, so we're just going to gloss over that this week. Now, Games with Gold, as a reminder, September... You got Warhammer Chaos Bane for the rest of the month. You've got Zone of the Enders, uh, which is actually no longer available starting the day this goes live. So fuck you, you missed it. Samurai Showdown is now available until September 30th. So download that Xbox 360 title. And Mulaka is available until October 15th, beginning the day this podcast goes live. So download that one as well. But with that all out of the way, guys, I my voice is tired. I'm fucking tired. My, my voice... My throat hurts because I'm talking so much. We need to get a guest on the podcast so I don't have to talk so much. Guys, not really. I want to talk. I want to talk all the time. I'm like Xbox. I don't know when to shut up. But with that said, guys, thank you so much for your time. If you made it this far into the podcast, goddamn, you're a trooper. Hopefully this has made your your road trip to um, Manitoba that much easier. And, uh, you know, follow me on Twitch, Lightning Extreme. We'll be streaming Mondays, Thursdays, all that good shit. Follow me on YouTube at Lightning Extreme and follow me on YouTube for the podcast at Xbox on Podcast. And then lastly, follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. We'll, we'll tweet about streaming schedule, stupid shit. You can ask me my favorite breakfast cereal, whatever you want to do. But until next week, guys, thank you for the time. Empower your dreams. I'm in.
We're all contagious in this world